1973, Elvis Presley, Hunka Hunka Burning Love. Actually, it's just called Burning Love. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. This is being recorded and broadcast live on November 22nd, 2017. We're starting the show at approximately 8.25 p.m. And this is the night before Thanksgiving. Many people are traveling. Many people are flying across the country. Many people are driving somewhere. Many people are just uh, getting ready for tomorrow. But I, I don't care. I don't care if a holiday is coming up. We're doing the show. And when I say we, I don't mean myself. I mean myself and another person who's right here, Cal Watt. Hello. What's going on, Ruff? So thank you for joining us. And I'm glad that you are not uh, traveling anywhere tonight so we can have this show. I am not, but I'm traveling tomorrow morning, so I don't know how late I'm going to be, but I'll, I'll I see actually, what I can do. How about I, that? I actually am, too, but <laughs> I decided I'm, I'm doing it anyway. So, uh, And Trader Ruski said he's going to join us soon, so whenever Trader Ruski is ready, he can call on in through Skype, and we will have him as well. So, as oh, I, I mentioned... you got to get me in that poker game. You mean the, uh, the free roll? Yeah, I'm queuing it up so you can start talking about it. Okay, yes. Well, the free roll starts in about 20 minutes. It's at 8.45 p.m., and it's a $75 free roll courtesy of one person. He actually gave 100 but I, I held over 25 till another week. I don't know if he wanted me to do that, but I, I decided to do it. So this week's $75 free roll came entirely from Seriously Serious. Oh, nice! And I, I appreciate that. That seriously, serious donated. Uh, he sent a hundred bucks to me and uh, didn't tell me how to use it. So I decided I'm going to use seventy five this week and twenty five the next week. Because I find when I, I give away something like a hundred, that in future weeks we don't have enough money, and then I have to beg. So I, I'm afraid. Well, what, okay, is this twenty five bucks that's going to be in there for a week? Is that an escrow somewhere? It's uh, it's being held. It's just. Uh, who gets the money for the, the interest on that money for that week that it's sitting there? What I'm going to do is I actually get it, but I'm going to withdraw those few pennies. And I'm going when I walk by a bum on the street who's got a a bottle in a paper bag, I'm going to toss him like like two cents and say this is the interest from the poker fraud alert, seriously serious money. Okay, and, but and don't I'm, toss it to him in an angry or demeaning manner, okay? No, no, of course not. But uh, it'll, it'll be two cents from the heart. Okay. So that's where it goes. Anyway... This free roll will be starting at uh, 8.45 p.m. Pacific Time. Rules are on PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. And that's where you can understand how to qualify for the free money because it doesn't happen automatically. And once you're qualified, though, you're qualified as long as you remain a member in good standing of the Poker Fraud Alert forum. The, we have, of course, the usual phone numbers to call into the show. The main number is 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355 is what it translates to. There, of course, is the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain about 45 minutes away by car from Las Vegas. Much cooler up there. Snows in the winter. I have an old 70s rotary phone in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston. It forwards to me wherever I go. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line into the show. You can call either that or the main number. But no matter which number you call, you have to show your caller ID or your call will not get through. 
You can also text the main phone number to the show, 775-372-8355, at any time. That is before, during, or after the show. And if you do so, I will respond to you. I respond to just about all texts I get. And never feel embarrassed to text me. Don't feel like you're uh, texting me too late or too early or you might be bothering me. I mean, the truth is you might be texting me too late or too early and you might be bothering me. That might be happening. There, there have been time texts have come through and I've been very angry and I want to do bad things to the person who texts me. But I say, no, I'm, I'm going to have a good attitude about this because I am a man of my word. And I told everybody who listens to the show they can text me anytime. So they can. 775-372-8355. I may read your text on the air unless you ask me not to at the beginning of your text. Now, I got a text from the 773 just now. We all hate when you hold over money. I never win, but it's BS, this guy says. Well, you may hate it, but you'll like it the following week when there's more money. I don't want like a $5 free roll the following week. It's a bad look. That's why I held over money. Now, if, if the person donating the money says I don't want it held over, then I won't. I won't. The, okay, Flipper Fair wanted to give 10 extra dollars this week. But I was very grateful that Seriously Serious donated here. He, he does uh, – I, I know he's very busy with his work for uh, Doug Polk and his videos. And he contributes a lot on the forums and makes a lot of funny videos. So I, th- I thought it was great that he also donated some money. And so I said, you know what? He, he hasn't – Donated very often here, and uh, I, I was thrilled to get that hundred dollars. And uh, so, I wanted. I think to, you shook him down. I, I wanted this to be like a seriously serious week, so I didn't want him to get. You, uh, I, I didn't rattled want, him with those botting accusations last week. <laughs> that's true. You, ra- you rattled him. It's like you shook him down. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I wanted it just to be him. I didn't want other people getting lost in the jumble. So uh, next week we'll do the usual thing with a bunch of donations that add up to our usual 50 to $100 that we give away. How much does it cost to get to choose the song? You know, I haven't come up with that price, but uh, I should. I should. I, I think I'm missing out on a lot of uh, monetization opportunities here. But, that, but then I'll start to slowly... Totally are. I mean, it, it's something that will get people involved. It's also, like, sweet, I'll pay 50 bucks. I get to pick the fucking song I want to put on. But I'll just feel you like know? I'm slowly losing control of my own show. That's what I'm going to feel like. That just soon, oh my soon God. I'm just selling out to everything for, for the almighty dollar instead of just doing what I want and saying, you know what? The site's going to lose money, but I'm going to be in control. You ever seen a NASCAR driver? <laughs> I, I don't know. Those fucking patches and stickers all over them? Come well, on. Well, well, the patches. You can at least, you can at least whore out like a little <laughs> tiny one inch square, you know, that is the intro song. Let, let me uh, call you right back. It's, uh, it's very choppy right now. I'm going to call you right, right back. Okay. The wonders of Skype, everybody. See, the good thing about Skype is it's very clear, usually. And Cal Watt gets to sound like he's sitting right next to me, even though he's across the country. That's that's the good thing about Skype. The bad thing about Skype is it's full of bugs. And okay. it's... Sometimes it sounds terrible, and and uh, sometimes it can't connect, and of course. No, no, that's just my voice, Drew. <laughs> and and that some terrible sound is just me talking. No, you're a lot better again. It was just it was very garbled. Skype, it's a mixed bag. Like I, I really like the sound quality. Normally, it really sounds like you're right next to me. It's just the thing is, I think if you did, Drew, if you did let people buy uh, the intro song. I think people would just be lining up like you would never get to pick a song again. 
Because people would just want to torture you with music. That's that what I'm afraid of. That's what I'm afraid. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not sounding that good again. Are you on a, a, a phone Skype by any chance, or is it just? Uh, or is there? No, I'm not. I'm on the internet. <sighs> Let's see how Trader same Ruski. setup I always use. Let's see how Trader Ruski sounds. I want to see whose fault this is. Yours or mine? Right. Trader Ruski, hello. What's up, fellas? Well, Happy I, Thanksgiving. So so far, Trader Ruski sounds great. So this this may. I think I th- yeah, and Calwatch I, I, sounded good, by the way, via the radio. So that was strange. Okay, well, I mean, as long as as long as it sounds good, I can understand him. So as long as it sounds good on the air, I'll, I'll just. I was will, it really just like crackly? Or it's a little bit crackly, but you know, I'll just I'll just deal with it. You're easy to understand. It's just a little like garbly. I just don't huh. like that. It just bothers me when that happens. This happens too. Oh, okay. At least I like this call. Hang on one moment here. One second, please. I'm going to connect connect on a uh, an individual that I, th- I think some people want to hear from. I, I'm I bothered. I know who it is. I, I'm bothered by like every call except this one. Oh, it's got to be. I'm not going to give it away. I know who it's got to be. Come on. I'm having problems with my old ass cell phone. I'm temporarily using here. Here we go. Druff, I'm locked in the Starbucks bathroom. <laughs> I was jerking off, and then I, I fell and I slipped, and I'm stuck in the bathroom. Uh, you're warm. You're warm. Master Ken Scaler, hello. Hello. Welcome hello. Welcome to Poker Fraudulent Radio. Fraudulent. There's an oh, echo. Oh God, too. I thought it was on Wednesdays. It is Wednesday. <laughs> oh, you got to keep track of the calendar, Ken. It seems like a Thursday. Doesn't tonight just seem like a Thursday? Not really. It'll seem weird tomorrow oh, when, when tomorrow seems like... wired differently. Well, no, tomorrow may seem like a Saturday. I can understand that, but today doesn't really seem okay, like Okay, so a... today's just today. Yeah, today's just a Wednesday. So, okay, Ken, uh, uh, yeah. I, I know you probably can't talk about some of the things that you want to talk about because oh, you're on God. here. I, no, I was actually going to call you about that. I can't, I can't talk about it now, though. Okay, well, you can... You can text me about uh, whatever's happening there, but uh, so Ken, you currently what, what part of the show is this? This is like, very, the very, the very, very, very beginning, and I, I was I, I was annoyed. No, I just started after like age twenty-five, so I was very annoyed. Oh my god, I I was very annoyed that uh, my phone was ringing during the show, and as always, you would go, "Oh, good, I can I can force Ken on the radio again." So I did it. So oh god, so Ken, it's like radio rape. Do, do you? You still have two jobs, right? Yeah, that hasn't changed. Uh, well, one of them helped do a deposit today, which you can look about later. Okay, so so you have two jobs, and yeah. uh, now, now your schooling By is... By the put- way, your party, Joe Barton, big conservative congressman, he showed his penis on a, a sex thing. Did you see that? I, I heard something about it. You your know, party, not my party. Well, actually, you know, Bill Barton actually had to do with, uh, with poker at Joe one point. Joe Barton's crazy. He actually had something to do with poker at one point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm he, outside now. It's a little hard to hear. He actually he actually had to do with the regular. He tried to get online poker regulated at the state level a while ago. Like Joe Barton did. Yeah. Wait, he he was on the show. No, no, but he tried to get online poker legalized and regulated at one point about five years ago. Wait, so he's pro poker or anti poker? Yeah, he was he was uh, he was pro poker. Oh, really? He he may have switched. Oh, I, I, he's I, in a he's in a little bit of hot water right now. So yeah. I I don't know if I I heard something. Someone who was once pro poker went anti. I forgot who it was, but I don't know if it was him. But 
At one well, point, the at least. the head of the Republican Party was lobbying for the poker's union, that Frank Ferenkoff guy. I don't know if he's still involved. Well, as, as I've said before on this show, that the legalization of online poker is not really a partisan issue. Some people think this is a thing Democrats support and Republicans oppose. It's really very mixed. There are Republicans who support it. There's Democrats who oppose it and vice versa. So it's you, you can't really put one party on this or the other it's not a pure ideological break no it's really not it's really not so yeah so ken uh, see now you're not going to school at the moment right we're taking online classes online class oh that's right you told me about that now yeah i'm back to taking 19 units online people are very fascinated about the story with you in the starbucks bathroom are there any okay this is so minor no no but are there any i mean i don't have any i i really I really think I have a repressed memory of it that I could never talk about it, even if I wanted to. No, I'm not asking about you're that specifically. To, Hold on, I'm not asking about that specifically. I'm asking about. You're more likely to find a, you're more likely to find a, a a season one DVD collection of just our luck on Amazon than me remembering that incident. Okay, but I, I'm not asking about that incident. I'm asking about currently. Do you uh, visit bathrooms no. for that reason? No, I use the bathroom to go to number one or number two. By the way, they had a. Did a big story on Channel 4 News in L.A. about an undercover about L.A. libraries. It's not just people going on porn on the Internet. People are, like, doing drugs in the library and doing sexual stuff to each other in the library. It's like it's like a crate. And the, and the cops get $5 million a year from the city of L.A., and they just sit there and text. They don't really patrol. It's crazy story. I'll have to take a look at that. But it's the question crazy. is, do you, you know, I, I saw, oh, what yeah. was that? What was That was Channel 4, I think, right, Ken? Wait, what happened? I think, I, I think it was Channel 4, like, investigative report. Yeah, like Channel, Channel 4, 4 it's called KNBC, the station I remember fondly, because he used to have fight back with David Horowitz, not conservative David Horowitz, uh, uh, no, consumer he's on, advocate he's on David Horowitz. But, but hold on, hold on. Huh? Ken, I want to ask you about the library here. Is masturbation something that's going on there, too, or just uh, oh, sexual? No, no, no. no. They you can't do no, that in a library. Show... You can't lock this. Wait, Ken, didn't they People come in all the time. Like... Are you crazy? I think they showed some guy, like, jerking off in the bushes right outside, like, after it closed. I, you know, I have my own apartment. I don't need to go do the public route for that. Well, okay, okay, but I, I have to bring something and, up and, here. And by the way, as you get older, while I still have sexual desire, I don't, like, want to do it, you know, five times seven times a day. But, you know? but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be that much. It doesn't have to be that much. Here's my question to you. Here's my honest question to you, okay? Now, I'm not going to get into the whole story, but you know, you had a roommate for a while. You don't have one right now. And No. So so you had a roommate for a long time though, and then you had other roommates prior to this that roommate. So I have to think that given that uh, these roommates you have had I, tend I to want, be I don't want to answer how I could possibly do it because I don't want to hurt any future roommate hunts. I don't want to uh, I don't see. want to give away my uh, your secrets. It's kind of like the eleven herbs and spices. It's, I want to keep it secret. Okay, I was going to say though with these with these roommates were they were well, very much homebodies. How I do it, and, and and by the way, not only how I do it, but even if I do it, if I do it, is the eleven herbs and spices of of my apartment. Well, I I have to say regarding uh, if I Meaning do it, it's like a Coca Cola recipe. It's a secret. Yeah, well, I have to say regarding if I do it, that kind of reminds me of O.J. Simpson. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're more, you're more, you're more likely to get a revival of Jemco in Southern California than uh, me telling that secret, you know. But, but but listen, if you have a roommate who's a homebody who's barely ever leaving, which definitely the last roommate was, 
and, and you have this roommate for oh, a while. What yeah, one day I'm going to talk a little bit more about this roommate. I, I, I know, in but but, detail, but but the but point is, if if the guy's not. always if the guy's always there, and uh, I that's say he was a very interesting character. Okay, but the, the point is, if the guy's always there, and then you know you need to do that, and it's either you have to do it with he's when he's there. Or you have to do it uh, in Starbucks bathrooms. You memorize certain schedules. You memorize schedules. I see. You look at routines. You look at patterns. It's kind of like playing poker. You look at patterns. You look at the tell. You look at like when players are, are more brash, when they're more conservative and cautious. So, so you're telling the same us thing in poker that you do with the roommate. So you're telling us that you're oh like you're God, like I'm actually talking poker strategy. So, so you're hold on. I don't even know how to play the goddamn game. So you're like the Phil Ivey of, of masturbators, is that what you're telling us? I think there's this correlation between the poker world and the masturbatory world. I didn't know it was a world, but okay. All right, Ken. Uh, I mean not not a cause and effect, but a cor- as they talk in the social and behavioral sciences, a, a correlation effect, a correlational okay. effect. Okay, Ken. Uh, by the way, I'm going by a Starbucks right now on the bus. It's not one I've ever been in. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for calling in. You can text. You can text. Yeah, is it one you've I'm used? Sorry, what? Have you used that one yeah, before? You drive by that Starbucks, or is it like no, visiting an old stop at a Starbucks? I I already have a, a Coca Cola Zero and a Wendy's cup, so I'm not thirsty. <laughs> they want a little dollop on top of that flat white. <laughs> Okay. It's just, a, it's just a regular cup. You know? Okay. It's part of a combo. You know? Okay, Ken, thank you for calling in. We're going to move on with the show. You can text me with yeah. whatever the concern is that you had. Uh, that yeah, you what to... time? You, like, how long do you think the show will end? you think by like one seventeen Pacific Standard Time the show will be over? You, you can try at one seventeen like 1.31 or something? Or you could try at 2.17 or 2.31. Okay, after two, after two. Okay, okay, cause okay. there's a lot I want to talk about okay. with that. A okay. lot I want to talk about. Okay, I, I've got to continue on, so th- thank you, Ken. Hey, Druff, you know how you mentioned uh, 11 herbs and spices, like uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken? Yeah. Did you hear Ben to the Kentucky Fried Chicken Twitter account? I, I haven't been there recently, but uh, no. So the Kentucky Fried Chicken Twitter account follows exactly 11 people. <laughs> Great. It follows all five of the Spice Girls and then six guys named Herb that's, or herb. Well, I, I guess that gives us a clue, though. That means there's five spices and six herbs. We didn't know that that's before. We didn't that's know that. We didn't know that before. Saying. We didn't Some know dude that before. figured it out and and tweeted at him, and he they sent him like I don't know, like a lifetime supply of KFC or some Jeez, shit like that. Okay, it's too bad it doesn't taste better. That guy would really be uh, in great, great shape. So uh, I don't know, man. There's some KFC. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> Call, you're on the air. What's up, Joe? <laughs> Is this uh, one step? <laughs> This is one step, yes. How you doing? Okay, it sounds like you have a, a cough. No, no, I'm good, I'm good. So listen, the reason I called uh, is, you know, because tomorrow is Thanksgiving. Yes. And I wanted to, uh, there's a lot of things I'm thankful for, and one of them is the fact that you run the side at a loss and you give all of us a chance to poke. Okay, well, you're so, welcome. So I'm very thankful for that. Uh, also, uh, we both had the uh, pleasure of meeting each other's acquaintances earlier this year, right? Was this this year? Yes. Yeah, just earlier this year. Yeah. So that, I'm thankful for that as well, and uh, and that's that's about it. Well, okay, thank you, One Step. It was uh, lovely meeting you as well. And uh, even though yeah, you went, to- are you thankful for Tom Dwan getting married? 
No, that, that I'm not. I'm not thinking. We got engaged. Supposedly. Yeah, it hasn't happened uh, yet. It's an engagement, allegedly. It's like a, yeah, it's I, an anti-thankful thing, right? Until until I see a photo, um, this could be a, a female or a male. So it's still uh, the verdict's still out. <laughs> <laughs> but he, does it matter if he's married, whether it's no. to a guy or a girl? You're still out of the picture. Yeah. Right. Well, no, no, but it's but that confirms uh, that you know he's in the dudes, which is better than him being single. I, I think I think what one step saying is that uh, if if it is a guy, at least he can say, well, I might have a chance in the future if it doesn't work out. If it's a girl, then I was like, oh, maybe he's been straight this whole time and I've had no shot. Thank you, thank you. Well, I mean, sort of. You you also get all these like uh, anti-gay senators who end up. That they're hooking up with dudes all over the place, so I think you got a shot regardless. Yeah, it could you know? be. Yeah, right. The, the the female fiance could be like a beard. It really could be just uh, he wants yeah, to get true. sponsorships in poker for some reason. He thinks that uh, being perceived as gay would hurt him. So maybe maybe he uh, maybe he's just doing this for image or maybe for the triad. Like, maybe, uh, maybe the triad. Yeah, I think that's what it is, Drop. I think it's a forced marriage. He's like <laughs> being forced to marry into the triad to join the two families and save his life. Yeah, but he still definitely could be in the closet. Yeah, you know? the, the triad could be saying, uh, "You you marry this girl. You 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 know you know suck dick. You know suck, suck dick could be part of triad. You, you marry girl." <laughs> Actually, he'd probably move up the ranks. That's incredibly racist, Ruff. <laughs> I'm I'm offended, greatly offended by that. Yeah, I'm sure you uh, are. Impersonation. Okay. All right, I gotta go. Uh, okay. Have a great night. All right, Bye. thank you. One step. We're never gonna get the show going with all these calls. We have another one right here from the seven three four. Hello. Caller, hello. Hello. Yes. Hey, yo, this is Sishop. I just wanted to thank you, you know, for running the forum and the radio show. I know you don't make any money, but I'm <laughs> thankful for it. Just wanted to let you know. Okay, thank you, Sishop. I appreciate that. All right, goodbye. All right, thank you. It's uh, a lot of uh, appreciation. There was a thread that was started on the forum of thanking me for running the site, and uh, we one step and Sishop calling up. So it's, uh, it's like the, the, the one... Or I guess two days of the year that anyone's appreciative or nice to me about running this thing. I guess I can take what I get. All righty. So if you want to chat in the chat room, it's going right now. Not a lot of action, but there's some people there chatting. You can uh, chat with those if you're listening live with other live listeners. If you want to listen to the show but don't have a computer or an internet connection... If you just want to listen, I have a call coming in, and I appreciate all these calls, but I just I, I got to get going here. We'll, we'll take calls a little bit later. So if you want to do that, if you want to listen to the show, and all you have is a phone, you're in luck. For two years now, we've had the call to listen line. The call to listen line is just a phone number you dial and listen to the show. It's located in a little shack in the small town of Carroll, Iowa, and you just call it up. And you listen. You don't need a smartphone. You don't need a data plan. You don't need the internet. You don't need a computer. And if you if you have a data plan, it's not going to cost you even one byte of data. It's just so simple. It's just a regular phone call. That phone number is 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162 is the call to listen line. And when we're not live, then you will hear it playing one of our more than 250 shows in our library of archives. And it'll play each show that it selects randomly as if it's live. And then when that's over, it'll pick another one randomly over and over and over again until we come back live. And there are some people who 
run up a lot of minutes on there. Hundreds of thousands of minutes are listened to on the Call to Listen line per year. I am not exaggerating. So listen away. If you want to find all these phone numbers, it's very easy. You just go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com, and they are all listed. You can even find a text number for Brandon. I don't know if he still uses it, but it's still up there. Uh, the free roll started four minutes ago, but you can still get in. 25 minutes of late <coughs> registration. Here is the agenda this week. Hundreds of people have filed a lawsuit against MGM over that mass shooting on October 31st. So we'll talk about what's going on with those lawsuits and discuss whether or not they have legal merit and moral merit. Because there's with lawsuits, there's really two different ways to look at them. There's uh, Is this a legally valid lawsuit? Is it likely to win? And is it something where just morally you think it should win? And those are often two different things. A San Francisco area card room, it's actually one that's right across from the San Francisco airport, has been hit with a very large fine for money laundering. It's been happening to a lot of card rooms, especially in California recently. Talk about that. If you are in Colorado and you're playing in a casino there and you see something very tempting, you see an abandoned machine with credits on it, or you see a ticket that someone cashed out and never went to get money for, like like a 50-cent ticket sitting there. You say, okay, well, finders keepers. They're not so fast in Colorado. They are arresting and prosecuting people for doing that. So I'll talk about this uh, very active trap they have going on in Colorado, and you definitely should avoid doing that. And I'll tell you why they have this law in the first place. Some of you may have heard of Tony Big Charles. It kind of sounds like a mobster's name, but he's a real guy. He's uh, a poker player. He's known on Twitter as 7card2003. He also runs a blog. Uh, He has admitted to having Asperger's. He's a very strange guy. But he had a meltdown during Blackjack when he was losing at the Golden Gate Casino downtown. So I will read you from his blog. He had a really bad meltdown there and got thrown out. You guys heard the collector on last week, the self-proclaimed collector of poker debts, who showed up on Poker Fraud Alert, uh, caused a bit of a stir on the forum and then appeared on the radio show last week. Whether you like or dislike him or agree or disagree with what he does, uh, it was at least an interesting segment, and we probably won't be having that segment again because he has been banned from Poker Fraud Alert. I will tell you why. The unbeatable poker bot Libratus has been given an award. I'll tell you what award they got. Party Poker, for a long time, had these very obnoxious fees called inactivity fees. Where if you didn't play, and you had money on there, they would take money from you. That has been done away with. I'll tell you why and read their statement. Phil Ivey has signed with a poker room. Is it Poker Stars? No. Is it uh, one of the bigger U.S. rooms like Bovada? No. Then what might it be? Could it be something like 888.com? No. Phil Ivey signed with a new cryptocurrency-based poker room 
not just cryptocurrency based, but Ethereum only. Seals with clubs, got him. I can't believe it. <laughs> he actually signed with a, with a smaller version of Seals with clubs, an Ethereum Seals with clubs. So you, uh, it's not Seals, but it's something similar. So I'll tell you about that. Kind of strange. Is he just signing up for anything now? It kind of seems like it. <laughs> Maybe we can get him to sign up with Poker Fraud Alert. Uh, well, he did lose that lawsuit, man. Guy's yeah. got to make money somehow. Maybe I could pay him like like five dollars a week, and he'll uh, be an ambassador for this site. Two more Caesars casinos are coming, but to the state of Indiana. So you probably will not have a desire to visit them. But uh, near the end of the show, we will explain what those two casinos are. Speaking of casinos, I found a picture of Las Vegas. I tweeted it out a few days ago from 1986. It's a picture of part of the Strip, and it's it's amazing how little there is on the Strip in 1986 in that picture. So I'm going to give you a list of the Vegas Strip casinos which did not exist 30 years ago. Finally, inside the Evil Empire, uh, the, the expose about Caesars from a former employee, Part 7 is this week. And by the way, the guy who does this said... Uh, Originally, it was supposed to be 20 parts, but he's not sure if he will be able to come up with uh, 20 parts of it. He's trying, but he's not sure if he can squeeze out 20. So we will see. We have seven here. This part seven is tonight. That is our agenda this evening. So let's get going. I'm going to talk about the lawsuit. Ugh, Jesus. Okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to answer this phone call, and then we're going to be done with calls for a little while. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, what's up, man? And who might this be? It's uh, it's Dan. Oh, it's Neverheave. Uh, I thought it might be you. Yeah. So this <laughs> how's it is, going, man? So Neverheave's kind of made a comeback. He, uh, this is he's kind of a legendary character from this community, going way back. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, a lot of us originated from a site called Never Win Poker, back which started way back in two thousand four, and which back in the day I I didn't own. But uh, I I really helped build up its activity. Really, without my appearance there, uh, it never would have got going. I'm not being arrogant here. It's just the, it's just the truth the way things unfolded. But one of the very early yeah. people there who also you know played a part in people taking interest in the site was Dan right here, uh, also known as Neverheeb. And uh, you know, not only was he kind of like a strange poster, he was quite young at the time. But uh, this is 13 years ago. And how old are you now, Dan? 32. 32. Okay, so yeah, so he was like that was 19. a long time ago. Yeah, he was like that was when I was in college. Yeah, yeah, it was like 13 and a half years ago. So, wow. He he appeared there and uh not only was he making kind of uh, weird posts, but he had a, a famous run on Poker Stars where he took just about nothing, Apple. just about nothing and ran it up to $65,000 on Stars. And then uh yep. Then you only can, to ship it all back. Yeah, you, you, of course, you, you can probably guess what happened to the sixty-five thousand, but he did have it up to sixty-five thousand at one point, and uh, yep. and and he's been through a lot over the years. He's uh, you know, we've we've had him on the various radio shows, and uh, he's gone through some hard times in life, and uh, so it, you were gone for a while. So I, I have to think since you're back and and posting and, and even calling into the show that the things must be going better at least for now. So. Uh, I know. Are, yeah. you, are you still living in the uh, Bay Area? Yeah, I'm in San Jose right now. And uh, are, are you back at your mom's house? No, she's not uh, in San Jose. 
she's in Mountain View. I'm actually at a. I'm actually renting a room at a place right now. Oh, okay. And and do yeah. you, do, do you have? It's pretty expensive, so I'm trying to find a new place. But yeah. And do you have a job? Sorry. No. no, I don't. But um, my dad said that he might uh, he might be able to hook me up with something. Uh, so I've been doing some uh, research. Uh, it has something to do with gelato. So if I was to find find a job with him, or if there was some contacts or connections he has, I could maybe be uh, hooking up distributors with gelato. You, you know, I was uh, one of my favorite stories with you was when you were driving around the the Bay Area and uh, you said uh, stealing hella grapes. You were, he was actually stealing grapes for some reason, like off of vines that were just hanging no, over the no, wall. Dude, that's not the story. What happened was there. I was living in a I was living in a gated community with a vineyard. And I went out. I went out at night, and I, I I picked like all night, and I got like a boatload of grapes. But what could you <laughs> do with them? Trying to make wine. Oh, you're trying to make wine. See, I never knew why you wanted the grapes. I just thought you called into the show. You said you're stealing hella grapes, and we're like, well, why? Why would you want to steal hella grapes? Yeah. Okay, at least that makes a little well, more no, sense. Well, I went now. out to the vineyard at night, night because you know they pick during the day, and it was picking season. So I went out and I got you know a boatload of grapes to make wine. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe if you need another job, maybe you should go get a job there. Tell them you have experience. <laughs> I just tell them the story. Hey, I was actually uh, I was actually a picker here. Yeah, you see, I, look, I, I was about. I was actually one of the few night pickers you ever had. I, I, I actually work evening hours. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I know you ran up uh, some money recently playing live poker, and then uh, unfortunately you lost it back. Would you run like like forty dollars? Yeah, you ran I was, like uh, I was up uh, four thousand off forty. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so what did what did you? Okay, so forty. What did you play it with forty? Do you sit at one two short stacked or something? Yeah, well, I was like, there's two things you you have two options with forty bucks at Bay One Hundred One. You can play four eight limit, which is what I did tonight, or you can play one two three no limit. And the last time I went and played uh one two three no limit, well, when I was starting out with the forty or whatever, and I got it up to like five fifty or something, and then from there I just you know plopped down a hundred each time I bought in, and I you know was able to grind it up quite a bit. Wow. Until I finally went donk down, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, but I did. Uh, I did end up saving six hundred dollars with my mom. I gave her. Uh, I gave her six hundred. She put in my savings. You know, that's that actually not a bad idea. That if, if people who do have a problem with being able to hold on to money or chunking off money, they win, where they just they can't control themselves and they get on the losing streak, and then it's just all gone. If when you're on the winning streak, yeah. if you start just giving portions of that money to someone to hold for you uh such as a trusted relative or whatever uh and then and tell them under no circumstances give it back to me when i'm on the way down then you may actually be happy for it because then you know when it's all said and done you actually have made some money no matter what even if you chunk it all off so yeah with i'll note works with a relative but not with uh poker stars (laughs) because you remember back when when i had that sixty-five thousand, i was like Okay, cash me out and don't don't let me play. And I sent them like fifteen emails, like let me back on, let me back on, because I wanted to play one hundred, two hundred so bad. See, you should have said if you sent it to me and said just absolutely don't give it to me for like a year, I would have held it. Now, now, truthfully, you probably would have yeah. uh, even if I gave it to you a year later, it would have been gone anyway with with the uh, various issues you ran into. But uh, yeah, still, I I I would have done it. I I, I was just when I saw the sixty five thousand, I was happy for you, but I'm like. I could I could see what the end of the story was going to be. That this would made me sad. Yeah. So okay. So yeah, now it sucks. I mean, it is what it is. Now, so, now, Dan, are you uh, are you completely off the drugs now? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm even off cigarettes now. I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm doing good on that front. Well, I you know, I hope so it stays I, that I don't way. Drink or anything? Don't smoke cigarettes anymore. 
and I haven't been, I haven't taken any drugs since uh well January 10th of last year or this year this year so almost coming up on a year now I've been off cigarettes okay. booze and drugs well that's good I, th- I think that's been the, the core of your problems here that's and pretty uh, important. I just yeah. I, I just I just want to yeah. see never heap succeed I just I, w- I would be so happy to see if uh, if just in the long term everything stays good for you and uh, and you can uh, yeah have have things walk it up not run it up yeah and, and now now uh are, are you dating anybody i know you had the various uh, girls you met off of personal ad sites and stuff in fact we we even uh, ended up with that uh that girl julia. yeah with, Ju- <laughs> with julia she she ended up being part of this uh one of our shows for a while and because of you uh sorry are you still meeting girls online or, or is that not happening anymore um i met a friend um i met a friend from uh uh, Facebook, and we ended up being pretty good friends. Hmm. But that was before I uh, before I went to jail the last time around. <laughs> so what, what was that? Um, what was that last uh, jail stint for? What did you do there? Sorry, Trader Ruski. Uh, it was a uh, it was a uh, what you call it, obstruction of justice felony. How did you obstruct justice? And um, well, pretty, it was pretty stupid. I felt it was a little unfair. But I was walking down the sidewalk, and. Um, the the cops got called on me because um, I <laughs> I don't know I was making an ass of myself or something and then they uh, they tried to pull me over and talk to me and I said I don't want to talk to you and put my hands up in the air and then they you know they wrestled me to the ground and then I three of them and then I kind of like struggled free and ran away yeah. and then yeah and then they like tackled me and they had to like punch me out and it was pretty bad so. Like, the DA was like, oh, we're going to charge this as a felony. And so they didn't give me any jail time. They put me on probation. And then I violated my probation because uh, they said you need to go to these group therapy classes. And I had to do eight months, which sucked. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, so. it, I've always told people the best advice when you have any contact with the police is just, you know, just keep your hands down and just talk to them. And even if they're being assholes to you or being overly demanding, don't, don't, don't tr- turn it into a confrontation. Just try to, yeah, just try to get past it and and you know what they want to know just tell them and just just be done and then um yeah the, otherwise these things escalate and they yeah, never end true. up go, they never end up going well for the person who escalates them even, even if the even if the cop no, is in the wrong not. even if the cop's in the wrong or is being over aggressive it never ends up well and uh you know i've had a few traffic stops and stuff where cops have been just you know really nasty and rude to me for no reason and i want you know I've, I've been falsely accused of having drugs in my car, falsely accused of, of drunk driving, which I, I hadn't drank at all, and things like that. I, I, I didn't escalate them. I just I followed the instructions, and you know when it was done, then you know of course nothing happened. So that, that that's what I'd suggest to everybody, even if you're pissed at the moment how you're being treated. So okay, yeah, uh, any, anyway, uh, you're. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad things seem to be going better. I, I hope that uh, if if you do play poker, that uh, that you can. Put some away in the same fashion, and I, th- I think that's a good plan. And I, I think yeah, get get that gelato job. I think that would be yeah, good to have cool. a, a regular job yeah, in your life. Uh, it would actually be something. Uh, it would be uh, be like importing, exporting type stuff. So it'd be like you know, if I'd, I'd have to do my research and you know really uh, really get it, it'd be a good job. So it's, yeah. it's like you know something that would hopefully change my future. Yeah, hopefully. Okay, well, like thank a real job, you know. Yeah, well, th- thank you Not for going. These, like labor jobs that breaks my back. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, that's a lot easier. So, okay, well, thank you for calling in, Dan, and we're gonna get going with the show. And uh, one more shout before I go, before I go, yeah. uh, if anyone sees on the uh, the forum the the 
the flying stupidity, the ACR stakes are at, and you're interested, hit me up. <laughs> do this. <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, I, I even. Uh, well, as much as I, I've agreed to help in some way if people want to, like, you know, something with escrowing or whatever. Now, I, I can't, if you stake him, of course, I can't control what he does with his account. Uh, so, so hopefully, uh, you know, but, but if there's something. I wouldn't roll anyone. He won't, Remember he's that. saying he won't roll anybody. And, and if there's, uh, but, you know, if, if, if someone needs me for him to send money to in the middle or something to hold and, and not give back to him or something, provided he really does it, I'll, I'll agree to that. So just, uh, keep right, that cool. in mind as well. Okay. Th- thank you. Thank you, Dan, for calling in. All right. Yeah. Good talking to you. Okay. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye. So people who are not part of this community for you know from like way back may not remember him or know him, but uh, it's, it's an interesting story. There's been a lot that has happened over the years. This is someone who uh, I, I've, I've always had a soft spot for, even with his his many uh, mistakes in life that have led him. Well, to, he's a porn star, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to bring that up. <laughs> yes. Well, it's not really a mistake necessarily. I mean. You know? So, so anyway, uh, yeah, he's he's part of the community. He's uh, he's someone that it, it's just someone that I I just hope one day succeeds and can look back and say, you know, back when I was in my twenties, I screwed everything up, but uh, now everything's fine. I'm selling gelato every day, and it's all wonderful. Okay, so I want to get to the the first topic here. I can't believe we've, we've actually you know, we're actually making still not that bad of time. The show's been on for about forty minutes, and while we haven't done any topics yet. We've had like a lot of phone calls. Usually 40 minutes is just the intro. So we're actually doing better than usual. And you have to take Nebrahib. I, I did. a good way to kick off the show, I think. Yeah, and that's what I, I thought it was probably him. He's like, I saw 650 and I know he'd made a, a comeback to the site recently and I knew that was his area code. So I just, uh, I, I had to take it. But no more calls for right now. I'll tell you guys a little bit later you can call in. But if I don't take your call from this point forward, then don't, uh, don't be insulted. I'm just... Uh, I'm just someone who needs to get through the show. If I just take so calls. So, Jeff, do we want to call people to call in once it completes, or if they have something to add to the segment? If we, I think yes. maybe if you put that out there, yes, that's one to call. That's a good point. That if if this topic we're discussing, if you have something to add to it, especially something we haven't said or something you know, then then call in, and especially as the topic's coming close to the end or we've been talking about it for a while, and then we'll put you on. Uh, please don't call in the middle of a topic and then derail the topic with something else. Uh, otherwise, just wait in between topics or something like that, or wait till I say we're taking phone calls. Uh, so, because that's that was actually a complaint I used to have from co-hosts. Uh, Brandon and Daredevil used to get mad at me for taking calls and ruining good segments by calls that would come in that would uh, distract from what we were doing. So I've... Uh, even though Brandon and uh, Daredevil are not uh, regular features on the show anymore, that's uh, it's kind of stuck with me. But but I had that leads me to something else I want to announce before we get going, and that is if you miss Brandon on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and if you like very long shows, and if you don't like waiting a week in between shows, I have good news for you. Just two short days from now. In what's known as Black Friday, but not the Poker Black Friday, but the Thanksgiving Black Friday. There will be a special show run by Brandon. This will not be my show. I may call in, but I would be a guest on the show. I'm not going to, it's not going to be my show. It's, it's going to be Brandon, and it's going to be a, a Norwegian guy who posts on the forum as Adamantium. And uh, I'm not sure who else, but 
there will be a number of people who will call into the show. And it's going to be a very, very long show, apparently. It will be in the archives if you miss it, but it'll be on Friday. I don't even know what time yet. They, they didn't tell me a time. They just kept saying Friday, Friday. You know, they, they kept asking me, is Friday okay? I said yes. I never got the time, and I'm realizing that right now. But uh, just check Poker Fraud Alert, like a Flying Stupidity Forum. I'm sure it'll be announced very shortly exactly what time it is. I'll also tweet on the Poker Fraud Alert uh, Twitter account, which is twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert, as to the exact time that show will be. And you'll be able to call into it. You'll be able to listen. It'll have different phone numbers, though, because, it, again, it will not be run by me. And the usual phone numbers of Poker Fraud Alert Radio only connect to my system. So uh, it'll be different phone numbers, different everything. But it'll be on PokerFraudAlert.com. It'll be Brandon. It'll be Adamantium and uh, a lot of interesting calls and guests. And it'll be a different type of show. This one has specific topics about gambling and poker. That, that'll be like very, very much like a free-form show where they just get on and talk about things and take a lot of calls and make a lot of calls and stuff like that. So that's coming up in two days on, on Friday, November 24th. And as I said, I, I will probably call in at some point as a guest, but I will not be the host of the show. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money, or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California, you can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute, so you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. So, let's talk about the lawsuit that is being filed against MGM. This was inevitable. I knew it was going to occur. It's several lawsuits 
against multiple parties. Here is the situation. I actually have to thank Benjamin's mom for bringing this to my attention. I was about to do the show without this topic because I didn't know about it. And then she said, are you going to talk about this one? I said, huh? I didn't know about this topic. So she, she directed me to it. And I said, you know what? I'll make it the main topic. So 450 plaintiffs are suing MGM Resorts International, which owns the Mandalay Bay, Live Nation, which organized the Country Music Festival. It's a very large company. And the estate of Stephen Paddock, who was the shooter. There are five lawsuits that have been filed in Los Angeles Superior Court. You may wonder, Los Angeles, why that instead of Las Vegas? I will tell you shortly. The victims are claiming negligence by both MGM and Live Nation. They're saying that MGM didn't have uh, proper security policies. They, They did not properly train their staff. They didn't perform proper surveillance. And they did not respond quickly enough when security, jar, when security guard Jesus Campos was, fought, was uh, shot in the hallway. It also alleges that Stephen Paddock's uh, status at MGM Properties gave him special access to where he was able to use the service elevator at the Mandalay Bay, which he used to bring the weapons up there and be less detected when doing so. As far as suing Live Nation, the plaintiffs are claiming that there were not enough exits and that the employees were not trained well enough in case of a foreseeable event such as a terrorist attack or other emergency. Now here's the weirdest part. At first it doesn't sound weird, but listen to the rest of it. They're shooting, they're, they're suing Stephen Paddock's estate which makes sense. Of course, he shot them. He's the one who's most at fault. So that's fine. They're suing his estate. But they are suing him for assault, battery, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Really? What about murder and, lo- and wrongful death? I mean, do, you, do you think Stephen Paddock, do you think what he's guilty of here is uh, assault, battery, and emotional distress? Is is that what you think yeah, of? Yeah, but I'm sure, Truffle, aren't a lot of those the ones that didn't get killed? So, in other words, the families that had to suffer or got shot or something like that. Oh, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's not the ones who actually got killed. Maybe that's uh, that's a good point. It doesn't – this article yeah, I'm like reading – someone's mother is suing because of the harm and put right, know, it's, it's on her because of her people. son. Yeah. yeah, and it's 450 people. So it must yeah. have been people that were there that were traumatized. Yeah, well, a relative can sue for wrongful death. I'm just saying that yeah, it could have been. It, it's possible all 450 are people who who uh, were not injured or killed, and that these are sure. people who were just there. It doesn't say that, but that's that's a good question of of who are these 450 people. It it doesn't say here. So a, a different law firm last week filed 14 lawsuits. In Nevada court. Now, the five suits I was just talking about were filed in California, in Los Angeles Superior Court. And that's because most of those plaintiffs are from California and receive treatment in California. Uh, Also, Live Nation is based in California. But uh, a different law firm filed 14 lawsuits in Nevada court. And they they did sue MGM, Live Nation, and, and Stephen Paddock's estate. But they also 
So the manufacturers of the bump stock devices that were uh, on uh, on Stephen Paddock's gun, they were found in his suite. They were assumed to have been used. And the attorneys for the plaintiffs are arguing that the shooting could have been stopped. And they claim that they're not out for money, that they're, what they're really trying to do is, is prompt policy changes so it can't happen again. But I think that's just the PR statement. I'm sure it's really about the money. Well, both things can be true, right? Yeah, but but I, I don't think that's the main reason for the lawsuit. I think it's uh, they they could always say, okay, you know, let, let's see some policy changes and we won't sue you. But uh, that's that obviously, yeah, it could be both. But uh, that that's just something you say to sound better. Uh, now, the lawsuits in Nevada claim that they that MGM unwittingly assisted Stephen Paddock to transport his guns and ammo by giving him access to that service elevator. So they're actually saying that they actually assisted him that not intentionally, but they assisted him and, and also that they failed to adequately monitor their hotel premises or discover his weapons or have gunshot detection devices in hotel rooms, which I mean, do any hotel rooms anywhere have gunshot detection devices in them? What is that? I don't even know what that is. I would have to think it's probably something that, uh, monitors the audio in the room and if there's some like something that's as loud as a gunshot that it would uh send what an alarm do on chinese new year <laughs> i don't know what about regular you new know? year when there's all those fireworks i don't know but you know in I, mean, the- I mean i can't have to do with record people are gonna they're gonna be able to record people's conversations to bring hookers back to the room well that's what i was gonna say yeah if it's something that's recording i mean it I could be just a detector where it doesn't record anything where if it just hears something re- like really really loud that's louder than, than a voice could be and and and, and it's similar to a gunshot it just sends a signal to the front desk to check so that wouldn't be recording but uh uh, I, I don't see how could they be liable for not having gunshot detection devices in hotel rooms. It's not like it's not like not having a smoke alarm. This is a gunshot detection device. I've never heard of that being in a hotel room. So and they reach in on that one. Yeah, and then the, the, they're also suing because they didn't have adequate procedures to handle an active shooter situation. They, they also uh, just like the other suits uh, alleged that Live Nation didn't have adequate exits or properly trained staff. Uh, so, attorney Antonio Romanucci, who also was involved in lawsuits connected to the Orlando nightclub shootings, he said, The evidence we've seen thus far clearly indicates that the defendants were culpable in contributing to the 58 victims who lost their lives and the thousands more who are still suffering from severe injuries that will take years to overcome, if ever. And uh, Live Nation just said no comment. They don't comment on ongoing litigation. MGM decided to release a statement. The incident that took place on October 1st was a terrible tragedy perpetrated by an evil man. These kinds of lawsuits are not unexpected, and we intend to defend ourselves against them. That said, out of respect for the victims, we will give our response through the appropriate legal channels. So it's basically a a statement saying we're not going to make a statement. And uh, now, you might wonder, legally, do these lawsuits have much of a chance well tom russell who's a personal injury lawyer and law professor at the university of denver he was asked by npr national public radio whether these had that much of a shot to prove the negligence negligence and he said could he, uh, could he have picked better words Drew? 
That, that was actually my I words. Mean, yeah, that, that's pretty insensitive. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry to the few listeners who were triggered here. Well, they can sue him now, too. They might hear this and get extra traumatized. Yeah, they can sue me now. That's great. These are my words, not not uh, not the Tom No, Russell. not you, the lawyer that said it. No, no, that was me who just said it. I was summarizing. They can sue Druff. I was quoting No, no, I was about to quote him, and then, uh, yeah, I was my summary. I'm sorry, everybody. So this is what Tom Russell really said. One can't blame the hotel for not predicting this gunman would go up to their 32nd floor with an arsenal and break out the windows and start firing at people. And then he also said that venues can be victims as well in the form of lost business or, or other harms. So so he's basically saying that uh, it's far-fetched to say the hotel should have been able to predict this or stop it before it happened. Now, he didn't really comment on the other part of the lawsuit saying that they didn't have the proper procedure or respond fast enough once the security guard got shot. And I think, to me, that really is the only valid part of this whole lawsuit. Uh, I can tell you from being in so many Las Vegas hotels that if someone challenged me prior to this occurring to get 100 guns into my hotel room over four days... Even without a service elevator, I could easily do it. Easily, in four days. There's no question. If someone challenged me to keep these guns out of view for those four days, I could easily accomplish that. Maybe not today. Is this, is this a manifesto or a confession or no, something? No, it's just no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to shoot anybody. I'm just. I'm just saying. I don't have a hundred guns, but I'm, I'm just saying that. Prior to this shooting, prior to the awareness of this sort of thing happening, this was something that would be very easy to accomplish at any large hotel because there just was not any attention paid to people bringing things up to their room because this really hasn't happened before. So it's just something that no one had really thought of. And I don't think the hotels can be blamed for him getting that stuff up there even if you use the service elevator that just that just made it a little bit easier but it could have easily been done without a service elevator in fact even if i had access to the service elevator and i were him i probably would not have used it because i would think that might bring more attention yeah yeah i i would you know, i would think that if i was using it as a uh, even with access to it as as a guest maybe some employees would see me and say what's up with this guy bringing suitcase after suitcase up the service elevator why is he not doing the regular elevator we should check this out yeah, however if you just keep bringing up suitcases every few hours up the regular elevators no one's going to notice anything so I, I i don't think the mandalay bay is at fault for any of that stuff i think the only part that's questionable here is how they handled it once he started firing and the fact that this uh jesus campos was shot in the hallway and that they didn't get up there quickly. It took, in fact, it took over an hour until they reached the hotel room. So now the shooting didn't last for an hour. And it is theorized, we'll never know, but it's theorized that uh, Jesus Campos, who was up there for a totally different reason, that uh, I think the cameras in the hallway that Stephen Paddock got confused and thought that they were catching on to him. So... Uh, he probably did believe that law enforcement was right behind Jesus Campos and had to do what he could and then shoot himself. We'll never know, but so it, it does appear that that did perhaps save lives. But uh, 
that that just the way it happened to be. It wasn't thanks to them actually sending people up there to respond to this and stopping him. It's just the shooter got confused and thought that this one security guard was uh, someone who was up there after him. And that if he's there, then police are probably coming very shortly after that. So it's uh, these are also being compared to the lawsuits against the Cinemark company that runs uh, movie theaters after the Aurora, Colorado movie theater shooting in 2012. And the victims there lost their suit because they, uh, it was concluded that the movie theater was not at fault, that this is a tragedy and that the shooter was an awful person, but that the movie theater was not at fault just because it happened to take place there. Not only did they lose the lawsuit, they actually were ordered to pay Cinemark's legal fees. And, and- Draft, can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Was the um so was the venue owned by MGM too, or is that another party? Uh I don't know. I I, I don't know who owned the venue. I know that uh, Live Nation was the one who put the whole event together. It was their event. I don't know who actually owned the venue. That's a good question. Yeah, because maybe building the venue there was such a, I mean I you know. Yeah, it's funny. It's a that's, little different than a movie theater. Yeah, it's 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 funny because that's not mentioned to who owns that. They, they talk about the exits, but but it's possible because it's like a big. Uh, I think it's kind of like a big empty lot. It's not like a permanent theater down there. It's not like a permanent outdoor theater. I think probably they they set the whole thing up. They they constructed the whole thing out there for the sh- for the show, I believe. And it was that, that's why I think Live Nation is seen as responsible for making sure there's enough exits and that their staff is trained because I think they kind of created the exits or lack thereof by putting this all together in this little, this outdoor venue. I think normally it's just kind of an empty space. I, I don't know what it no- looks like normally, but I, I think that that is probably something that Live Nation would be responsible for. I don't know how many I'm, exits there really I were. I think so, especially if they're building it from scratch. I'm sure every other venue has all of these ex. You know, they have to have one exit per X amount of people. Yeah. that That's probably standard in the industry. They probably didn't know about. Yeah. And, and it is. That's another. I was going to say that's the other part of this lawsuit that may be valid is that uh, if there really were not enough exits, then uh, there I could understand both legally and morally why that's uh, a lawsuit that's reasonable. Uh, but, but anything to me that has to do with him being able to get up there with the guns, not be discovered, and the fact that he was able to start shooting. These these are tragic, but not, I don't think the MGM Corporation should be blamed for that. And I, I would only be looking at the security procedures and why they took so long to get up there and uh, stuff like that. that to, to me, that is where there's both potential vulnerability and I think uh, morally I can understand suing for that and, be, and being angry about that if you're a uh, – like if you're a relative of a victim, you know, putting aside all the emotion you would have. Or even if you were a victim – let's say you were at the venue yourself and you weren't shot and you weren't hurt physically, but obviously it was very traumatizing to know that people are being shot from a hotel room up there and you could be next every, any second. Sure, it was very scary. 
so so you have the emotional distress from the whole thing and you're you're very upset and you you know you want in on this lawsuit but uh you know honestly in your head who who do you really blame do, do you really think it's the mandalay's face fault that the guy got up there with all the guns wasn't discovered and, and shot shot it broke some windows and shot at people no i i don't think so and uh, I, I think as angry as you might be or as traumatized as you might be, you've just got to use common sense. And I, I, It bothers me so much when I hear people saying, oh, how did he get all those guns up there? You know, Boy, this hotel must have been asleep at the switch. Or he had to have help. How could a 63-year-old man get this stuff up there? No, it's not hard. Over four days, it's easy. It's easy. With, you put a suitcase with rollers, it's very easy. So It was, it was probably the bell... When they discover it's the bellman that took him up. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny if it was the bellman. The bellman's like, uh, yeah, he gave me a good tip there. He said, uh, you know, make make sure to keep these upright. Give you a $100 tip. Actually, you know, he gave a good tip on his last room service meal, Stephen Paddock. So I, I don't know if he did this just so... The person bringing the broom service would like him and not, you know, not think anything badly of him. So this way, there wouldn't be uh, any suspicion of him. I, I don't know what he did, or, or just like, isn't it weird that he wants to leave a sufficient tip for the guy bringing him room service? He doesn't want to screw the room service guy tip wise, but then he's okay just shooting it to hundreds or th- you know, thousands of random people down below. It's okay to kill, try to kill thousands of people, but. Uh, you don't want to. You don't want to screw the room service guy on the tip. But it wasn't something like a grand or something. No, right? no. But it was. It was like a, just maybe a hundred bucks or something. No, it was less than that. It wasn't like a really, really great tip, but it was, it was a, a a pretty good tip. Like I, I don't know, twenty dollars on a on a fifty dollar meal or something like that. So, so not, nothing that was really high, but something like higher than usual. And it's just of all things. Like the the good tipper was the, the the guy the mass murderer who was just about to commit the act and just shoot random people. This would make a little more sense if he was actually murdering someone that he really was angry at. It's not like you tip someone well and then kill someone you really think wronged you. That's a little dif- different story. But uh, this is just killing random people. So it is fucking nuts. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's just like, what could the explanation be? Yeah, I, I, I've thought about it before. Like, what really was going through his mind, both, like, in wanting to plan this and also just before doing it? Like, like uh, was he thinking he's going to be famous? Was he thinking he's accomplishing something? Was he thinking that these people deserve it somehow? It, it's just so weird. How do you... What's in your mind to make you think that that's the right thing to do? Yeah, and like we talked about on prior shows... He had so many days to just say, what am I doing? Yeah. Just, I guess, the human name. Yeah, that's fucking nuts. So that's, uh, and so the, an attorney, the one that's involved in the California suits said, or one of the, I guess one of the attorneys in California suits said, uh, we know in this day and age that evil happens and we have to protect against that. This was the largest venue security failure in U.S. history. So, we will see where these lawsuits go, but I, I think they're going to lose, to be honest, because they the Cinemark one lost. In fact, the victims had to pay the attorney fees as an extra kick in the ass. 
Then uh, various lawsuits against gun manufacturers over the years have failed after mass shootings, and now the lawsuits against the Mandalay Bay and uh, Live Nation. I, of course, I'm, I'm sure the lawsuits against Paddock's estate will be successful, but there there won't be that much to go around. There's a lot of victims here, so they're going to get just a pittance there. So, and I think Paddock knew that. I think when he sent the hundred thousand off to the Philippines, I think that's because he knew that there would be these lawsuits and. I think he probably sent the max he believed he could send without really arousing suspicion. That's why I think he didn't spend you know, send every penny he had. I think he would rather that his girlfriend's family had it in the Philippines than the people who, the families of the people he was about to kill. So we'll we'll see where this goes. I just I, I knew this would happen. I knew there would be a lawsuit related to this, and it will be interesting to see how this will affect Vegas on New Year's. If you take a look at the prices for uh, hotel, well, let's take a look right now. I'm just gonna I'm gonna go on Caesars.com, and I, I haven't looked at this, so this, I'm gonna see at the same time as, as you're gonna hear it. I just thought of this right now. I'm gonna check if we check in on December 30th and check out January 1st. How much that is. And I'm just going to uh, Caesars.com, just Las Vegas, and either properties for those two nights, starting December 30th. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot cheaper. Than <laughs> oh, my goodness. This really did affect it. Without looking, I know I've already tipped my hand a little bit, but how much do you think average per night for the two nights, you know, December 30th and 31st, which are the two most expensive nights historically in Las Vegas for uh, the entire year, really. December 30th and 31st. Especially the 31st, but 30th too. How much do you think at, at the Rio you'd be averaging per night? of, of uh, How much would it cost? At the Rio? Yes. I mean, you'd have to pay me. <laughs> I'm not saying how much it's worth to you. How, how much do you think they are charging per night on the th- 30th and 31st, those two nights? Which are normally the most, the two most expensive nights to stay. Nine hundred dollars. Would you believe two hundred thirty-seven dollars per night? Okay. Wow. And that's actually very reasonable. Yeah. Well, but what what are they normally draft? Like, oh, well, what they normally well, draft? well, so we'll go down here. They, uh, much Wasn't more. Than it way that. more than that during the World Series. Uh, well, yes, at some nights it was. Yes, <laughs> like during the nights when. Uh, well, what the hell? When the Colossus was going, or or also yeah. during when uh, EDC was in town, yes, it was more than that. Okay, so yeah. then we have uh, Harris, three hundred seven dollars average for those two nights. Flamingo, three hundred nineteen. The Link, three hundred fifty four. You say, okay, well, yeah, these are all kind of crappy hotels. What about something that's decent? Well, Paris, which I believe is the second best property they have there, four hundred thirty two per night. And uh, Caesar's Palace itself, I don't know which tower. Uh, five hundred four dollars per night, average, and then uh, the Nobu Hotel. If you want to be in the Nobu Hotel, which I, my parents stayed in, and I, I took a look at two years ago, and it, it it's actually been done pretty nicely. It's an old tower. It was once called the Centurion Tower, and they renovated it. It actually looks nice. Just the rooms are pretty small, so you're not going to want to bring a family of four there. But if it's just a couple, like you know, you and your girlfriend, you and your wife, it's 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 you know, plenty of room for two people. I just wouldn't bring more than that there. Uh, that even that's five hundred twenty nine per night, 
and that tends to be uh, the most expensive thing they have. And I'm going to click on Caesars itself, and we'll see the different towers they have available. Because that's so the Forum Tower is 504 per night. The Julius Tower is 520, and uh, wow, the Octavius 530 per night. That's a surprise. That's the newest tower there. I, I prefer the Augustus because it has the view. So Octavius, you're not going to be able to see the fireworks. And I'm not even seeing Augustus listed probably because they're they're probably holding Augustus for all the seven stars and all the high rollers who aren't seven stars because people like the Augustus to see the fireworks. But the fact that you can get Octavius for 530 per night is amazing. I mean, that's just... Uh, that is uh, shockingly low. So this this really did hurt Vegas big time because uh, I think people do not want to go down in that crowd on New Year's. Now, I never did anyway. When I would be there, I would... Uh, when, I, when I would be at uh, Caesars on New Year's, I would just view the fireworks from the room. I thought it was much nicer. It's not cold. You're not in a giant crowd. When it's done, you just you, know, you don't have to fight your way through the crowd to get back to your room. Much, much nicer to view it from the room if you have a room that has a good view. So this wouldn't have affected me anyway. But, uh, yeah, this is definitely hurting them because I think people just don't want to go out in that crowd. They're just afraid there'll be, the, there'll be a copycat that uh, breaks one of the nearby windows and does it again. And the truth is this might be hard to stop if it, if it is. Now, I don't think, I have a feeling it won't happen that way. Because uh, usually these mass shooters, just like terrorists, the thing they're afraid of is not death. The thing they're afraid of is failure. So everyone knows that Vegas is going to be on very high alert for New Year's. So I, I think that a shooter would say, I'm not going to try for this. I'm going to try something they're not expecting. I'm not going to try New Year when they're totally expecting and most likely to catch me. That's my guess. Uh, here's something also interesting. January 9th and 10th are more expensive than New Year's. Those are over $600 per night at Caesars. CES. Okay, yeah. So that's isn't that interesting that CE, staying during CES is now more expensive than staying at New Year's? That is very telling of the times we have. It's amazing how how one man can affect the Vegas economy so much. But you know, you you do something that awful and high profile and in se- in such a way that that scares people for the future. It's just because everyone thinks, okay, yes, he is dead. Yes, it's probably not that hard to believe that anyone associated with him is probably not going to be doing this. So it's not like there's uh, others that are uh, part of a Stephen Paddock cult that are going to do this too. But a, a new vulnerability has been exposed and there really isn't a very easy way to prevent it. So you can't even say, okay, well, they fixed this problem now. It's not It's not like after 9-11 where you say, okay, well, after this, there's no way that what they did will ever work again. Now, uh, with this, this could easily happen again. And I think people are aware of that, and they don't want to go there for New Year's. So 
That is interesting. That is interesting. But I wonder. I wonder if it's just there, though. I mean, just in you Vegas. Know? You think you think people don't want to go anywhere <laughs> for New Year's? Well, not not that they don't want to go anywhere, but they're just kind of less likely to to go out in See, general. I mean, I'm like, sure I'm sure it's going to impact Vegas more in general. Um, but I wonder if it's kind of everywhere. You know? Yeah, I think Vegas is the bigger problem because of the all the big buildings around. I think anywhere that has big buildings surrounding. I wonder New York City if they've got the same uh, concern. Well, I was so, going to say they were showing the Thanksgiving Day parade. I guess the lineup to blow up the floats or something today, and it was packed. But there were a lot of you know policemen on horses and you know everything. Yeah, what are they going to do though on those horses if there's a a shooter up on a building? That's it's pretty hard to stop. Honestly, yep. I, guess, I guess you can see him and you know get someone up there fast, but. Uh, Look how much damage this guy did in like ten minutes. So, yeah, this, this amazingly, if this guy hadn't been probably confused by that Campos guy out there, he could have gone on with this for a very long time before they they got in there. I mean, he could have really killed far more people than he did, far more. So, uh, it just seemed to be important to him to not be arrested. He he definitely went into this thinking. I, I don't want to, you know, be arrested and go through a trial and spend the rest of my life in prison. I just, I just want to do this and kill myself. So that the killing himself seemed to be most important in this whole thing. That he he was willing to give up on killing additional people to make sure that it would end with him being dead. So yeah, I, I'm very surprised at how low. And the fact that you could stay at the Rio, which you know, admittedly is not. A wonderful property, but the fact that you could stay there for an average of two thirty-seven per night on those two nights, thirtieth and thirty-first of December, is amazing. Okay, so moving on to our our next topic, San Francisco has a card room, which I wasn't even aware of. It's right across, and I'm, I mean right across from the San Francisco International Airport. Which is which is not in the San Francisco you probably think of, if you're not familiar with the city. It's not in the the place with uh, you know by Market Street and by all the cable the cable cars and uh, Fisherman's Wharf. It's, it's not in that part of San Francisco, but it is you know the San Francisco International Airport, and it's right across the street from it. It is called Artichoke Joe's Card Room. And they were hit. I played there many times. I didn't know that was right across the street from the airport. Yeah. They must have moved it. Yeah, I, I just looked it up. If you if you put in Wow Artichoke Joe's uh, Casino and you and you, uh, you look at the map, it's in what's known as San Bruno, California, but it is right across from the San the San Francisco International Airport, which is uh, the southern part of San Francisco. It's it's in. Yeah, it's in San Bruno, and it's actually south of what's known as South San Francisco. And uh, but yeah, it's right across from the airport. So I don't know if they moved it, but that, that's where it is. So Artichoke Joe's, they faced a pretty steep fine for money laundering. A, a very steep fine that actually surprised me when I heard how large it actually was. Well, not that much, but uh, it was considerably more than 
$1 million. It was $8 million. An $8 million fine, which is pretty stiff for a card room. I mean, it, it, commerce could handle it, but uh, uh, Trader Risky, how large is Artichoke, Artichoke Joe's? Um, it's a decent size. It was probably like a little smaller, probably like half of Bay 101 or maybe three quarters. Yeah. I hadn't heard of it before for whatever reason. Yeah, but I hadn't. I mean, I played there like mid-90s. Okay. That's been there forever. Okay. So, yeah, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, also known as FinCEN, announced that uh, there's going to be an $8 million civil penalty for violating anti-money laundering laws for uh, the past decade. This is the statement from Jamal El-Hindi, who's the acting director of FinCEN, which, funny enough, uh, I, I don't think most people would want to fly on a plane with Jamal El-Hindi, but uh, he is the acting director of FinCEN, so I guess he's not someone you'd have to be afraid of, unless you're laundering money. He said, for years, Artichoke Joe's turned a blind eye to loan sharking, suspicious transfers of high-value gaming chips, and flagrant criminal activity that occurred in plain sight. FinCEN's $8 million civil penalty results from the card club's failure to establish adequate internal controls and its willful violations of the Bank Secrecy Act. Casinos, card clubs, and others in the gaming industry should consider their risk of exploitation from, by criminal elements and understand that they will be held accountable if they disregard anti-money laundering and, anti- and illicit finance laws. The significant action highlights the need for all entities, including those in the gaming industry, to build a robust culture of compliance into their policies and procedures to ensure that they are not facilitating illicit activities. So there have been a number of these in California lately. There, the bike had one. It's happened to the Normandy Casino. It happened to Hawaiian Gardens. And uh, there, there's been others. And uh, so this has now happened to Artichoke Joe's. And they said that uh, from October 2009 through November 2017, Artichoke Joe's knew very well what was going on there, and they just didn't feel like stopping it. And uh, they said in, in March 2011, getting close to seven years ago, they actually raided Artichoke Joe's, and they... they Convicted two customers for loan sharking and other illicit activities. And uh, apparently, uh, these loan sharks actually uh, had uh, business with with people who uh, were patrons of the casino. And employees saw it and knew about it, but but never reported it. So this was way back in in, uh, 2011. But they claim that uh, even since then, that they haven't changed anything. The press release said, uh, Artichoke Joe's failed to adopt adequate policies and procedures to address risks associated with gaming practices and allow their customers to pool or co-mingle their bets with uh, relative anonymity. So that's an interesting statement about uh, pooling and co-mingling their bets. So I, I think what they're trying to say here is that uh, they, they were probably I'm guessing in some, what they would sometimes do to launder money would be uh, th- they would have someone who's legitimately playing and then just kind of uh, add money to their stack 
and they'd eventually cash out and claim that this was winnings. Or you, you don't have to claim anything, you just cash out and get the money. And then later, if it's questioned, you say they were winnings. It doesn't say. It, I'm assuming that's what was uh, what was going on there. Uh, also, apparently, Artichoke Joe's uh, never had a system to where employees there could support could report suspicious activity, and uh, they also never reported large volume chip redemptions, even if there were redemptions by people who they had never seen gambling there before. So somebody could just come up there with like a lot of large chips. So yes, uh, please cash out uh, $300,000, please. Uh, okay, I, I've never seen you here. Oh, yeah, I just won this at one, two, lo- uh, no limit, hold them. All right, sounds good to me. That pretty much went on. Not even that. They didn't even question them. They just go, okay, here's your 300 k You know, like They just, uh, they never questioned why people had very large chips that they were redeeming for you know, very large sums of money when they had never been seen actually gambling at the casino. And I, I guess Artichoke Joe's just completely turned a blind eye to this. Now, I can tell you at Commerce, from what I have witnessed, just, just from my personal experience there, they they don't seem to care. They seem to care very little at the cashier when you cash out. They don't check where you've been playing. They don't check that you're not structuring. Structuring for the... And I don't think structuring is is part of this whole thing, but structuring, for those of you that don't know, if you buy in or cash out $10,000 in 24 hours from a casino, they have to fill out a form for the IRS. It's called a CTR. And that includes if you do it through separate transactions that equal 10000 So if you cash out 3000 3000 3000 3000 that would equal $12,000. Uh, they, once you break that point of breaking you know, breaking 10000 then they have to file that report. I can tell you that Commerce does not make any attempt to monitor this, just from personal experience, because you can cash out very close to 10000 and they don't take any information down about who you are which is the only way they can do it for them to be able to figure out whether you're structuring. Now, I'm not saying I was structuring, but like, for example, last time I was at Commerce, I had a very good session. It was right after Live at the Bike. I think I talked about this before. And I won, uh, I think, I won like $4,600, and I think I had ended up, I think I had bought in for uh, 4000 total. Because I had originally started at sixty one twenty, and then that broke. I moved to forty eighty. It doesn't matter, but I think I cashed out like eighty six hundred, and had bought in like four k, something like that. And I remember thinking before I brought it up there, like I was counting it. I'm going like I knew I was up forty six hundred, but I didn't know exactly how much I had. I didn't know if I was actually over ten thousand. And then uh, I saw I only had eighty six hundred, so and I realized I was, yeah, it was fine. But when I was counting it, I was thinking, okay, I, I hope I'm under ten, so I don't have to hassle with all this. And I knew if I was under 10, it would be no problem. I knew they would not be hassling me or taking my, my information or ne- and nothing like that. Because that, And it's always been that way at Commerce. At Commerce, you could walk up there, okay, 99, uh, $9,999, $9, please, in chips. Okay, here it goes. But they, they won't ask who you are. So I'm surprised it hasn't happened to them yet. And there's a lot of different cashiers working. And that's, that's just to avoid the CCR form. Uh, I, I also don't think that they 
question people who have just large cash outs that do fill out the CTR form. So, for example, if you had 300000 you wanted to cash out, yes, you'd have to fill out the form, but uh, I have a feeling they wouldn't ask any questions. So, I- I've also seen where the, the chip runners don't seem to pay attention when people keep rebuying over and over who has bought it for 10000 whereas like at the Bellagio, they're pretty hard line about that. So anyway, going back to this situation with Artichoke Joe's, FinCEN said, Our assessment of $8 million recognizes the duration and severity of Artichoke Joe's violations, the size and sophistication of the card club, their awareness of criminal activity in the premises, and its deficient culture of compliance. And despite all of this, Artichoke Joe's operators, when asked for comment, said that they deny any wrongdoing. <laughs> I mean, this has been going on for like 10 years. <laughs> There's been busts there, and they don't change anything, and they're like, ah, oh, we didn't do anything wrong. So, clearly they just didn't care. And they just thought nothing was going to happen, and something has happened. So, I'm I'm surprised these card rooms allow this because I mean, what are they really gaining? Unless people are being bribed to work there to look the other way, but otherwise, what are they really gaining? Because if, if somebody has a lot of money, they're putting through there, but they're not really playing with it; they're just using it to to launder it. Uh, they're not really gaining much. And even if you want to say, okay, maybe they're putting a fish at one of the high limit tables who's intentionally losing so then they could launder the much bigger money involved. Still, who's really gaining from it? Like a few pros? Like I, I don't see how the card room is really gaining that much from someone, from from just routine money launderers. Again, unless there are bribes going on. But that's not alleged I'm here. I'm sure that's what it is, though. But it's I not mean, alleged. I may not have caught them, but I'm sure that's what was happening. Yeah, it could be that. It could be that the uh, the bribes have been going on. I don't know, but it's not alleged. You'd think they would have figured this out, but it's not alleged in this whole thing. It's just pretty much they don't care. So, I don't know. But there, we, we keep seeing one after another for the last few years of these California card rooms that keep getting busted for money laundering. And, we're, and, and to be clear, the manager's and employees of Artichoke Joe's are not accused of being part of criminal activity. They're just being accused of not caring that it was going on there in their card room. And that was actually made clear in the press release from FinCEN that they're not even accusing anyone who works at the card room of criminal involvement, just that they were letting it happen and didn't care. So, Artichoke Joe's is still open. It's still operating. If you were a patron there or are a patron there, you probably won't even notice that this happened. But it did happen. And this sort of thing will continue to happen. So, poker is... uh, It's become a pretty popular way to launder money. And you can see why. Because... uh, I mean, it looks like here they weren't even trying to hide it. But even if you try, you just have to try a little bit to hide it. Like if you if you have say two hundred thousand, you want to launder. You set up a high stakes poker game. You you dump from one person to the other. 
you you run in, you know you you set up the game as something at a at a time and in a place that it's unlikely someone's going to want to join as a third party and then uh you, you just you just dump chips and the winner cashes out and there you, there there you go now, now he's got uh, $200,000 which has been laundered it's pretty easy to do honestly and no one's watching this very closely because the casino doesn't really care the casino just wants to cl- collect its rake but I guess they're going to have to start caring. That's a pretty hefty fine, eight, eight million bucks. That's the biggest one I've seen. They also mentioned the sophistication and size of Artichoke Joe's. So I guess they feel that they are big enough and familiar enough with the industry that they have no excuse. So that was an interesting reason for why the fine was so high. That they felt like they should have known, and they definitely had the resources to stop this and to understand what was occurring, and just chose not to do anything. So here is a, a story of criminal prosecution that should not be happening, and I think it's actually pretty disgusting. It, it bothers me. Uh, when I read the story, I was bothered by it, even though I've never played once in a Colorado casino, and I don't know if I ever will. But listen to this. This is uh, And this has gotten very little press, but I think it deserves more. It's gotten some local Colorado press, but that's it. This is from uh, the website of Fox 31 KDVR in uh, Colorado, in Denver. Casinos in Colorado have been quietly helping prosecute hundreds of everyday gamblers under a little-known law. Court records show that in the past five years, 728 casino customers in Black Hawk and Central City, Colorado, and 202 more mostly slot machine players in the Cripple Creek area have been cited or arrested under Colorado Statute 12-47.1823. Now, now what is that statute? That's almost a 1,000 people who have been either arrested or cited in the last five years. What have they done? It says their indiscretions range from innocently playing abandoned slot credits left on these machi- on machines by other customers, cashing in credit vouchers found on the floor, or finding forgotten or dropped chips, to a series of less innocent crimes such as cheating at roulette or trying to swipe blackjack chips. Okay, the, the, the latter two, obviously, you can understand why people would be arrested. And that's fine. But uh, how about the first thing? Playing abandoned slot credits left on machines, where people just get up and walk away with credits still in the machine. And usually this is not like they leave with $1,200 in the machine. They, this is when someone gets up and leaves with uh, $1.25 in the machine. Cashing credit vouchers found on the floor. Again, this is usually like under a dollar. Yeah, they cash out 75 cents and just say, ah, screw it and throw the thing away. Or finding chips that are on the ground and then cashing them in. Now, I have a feeling that most people listening to this show who have played in casinos at some point have done one of these three things or perhaps all three of them. Uh, Calwatt, do you wish to confess to anything? I've never done any of that, but it still seems really stupid. It's like tearing the, the tag off your mattress. I yeah. mean, what's a big fucking deal? Right. Uh, now, uh, Trader Ruski, have you done any of these three things? 
I have not. And if sometimes I get to a poker machine that's like 75 cents, I usually just cash it out and put it on top. Okay. Well, look at, look at this. Uh, Trotorowski is a very uh, law-abiding citizen. Well, there, there is somebody... I, I'm not. I'd be happy to rip it off. I just <laughs> never have. I mean, it's, it's, not a, it's not a... I don't know. It's just right. silly. Well, I'm, go- I'm going to confess to something here. I'm not going to say what year it occurred, so it could be way past the statute of limitations, but I have done all three of these things. Could be last week. It could be. At some point in my life, I will say I've done all three of these things. I won't tell you which date. I won't tell you which casino. I won't tell you what year, but I've done all three of these things. So hopefully there will not be uh, an investigation into me. It was not in Colorado, though. I'll say that. So Colorado authorities, uh, leave me alone. But yes, I've done all three of these things. Uh, I'm a cheap Jew, so if I I find a voucher there that's uh, 75 cents... (laughs) Yeah, you can't you can't have a voucher laying on the floor and not expect Truff to pick it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm either gonna you know insert it into the machine I'm about to play in anyway, or I, or maybe I will bring it up to one of those cash out machines and let it spit out three quarters and put it in my pocket. Uh, I I have played machines with credits on them. I've never walked. I, I'll truthfully, if I saw an abandoned machine with like six hundred bucks or something or anything substantial, even like sixty bucks, okay, I wouldn't take it because I would assume that someone just like left because they had to go to the bathroom or, or some emergency happened or they made a mistake. And there I'd kind of feel like I was stealing. Like if a really, really long time passed, like if I'm sitting playing the machine next to it and like two hours pass, I go, okay, that person's gone. But I wouldn't go, oh, wow, an abandoned machine, 60 bucks and start playing. Because I, I'd feel bad. I feel like I might be stealing from someone. Uh, but I, I have played ones with, with very little money left where it's clear someone just left it. You know, I come up, there's a a dollar twenty five left in the machine. Yeah, I'll spin the slot machine a few times, see if I hit something. Uh, or even just hit the cash out button and take it. And I've definitely cashed in chips I found on the floor. Hasn't happened often, but I have found chips on the floor. And I have cashed them in. Yeah, that may have happened years ago. I don't know. Oh, okay, we have some we have some possible guilt here. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> it's, it's all starting to come back to you. It's, it's kind of like these sexual harassers that are in the news. Oh, I have no idea. I, I have no memory of this occurring. You go, well, you know, actually, maybe it could have possibly happened, but I, I don't remember it fully. So that's that's uh, Trader Ruski's approach to this story. But, yeah, it's it's something that I used to not even realize was a crime. And, actually, these are crimes in most states that have casinos. It's stupid, but these are crimes, and I'll, I'll get to the reason why it is shortly. But in Colorado specifically, they are cracking down on it, and they're actually really, really looking closely for it. So it's, it's not a matter of they just happen to see you doing it, that they're going to arrest you. They're really looking closely and then busting you for it. So, so here's why this is being done. Because some people wonder, why why would the casino possibly care about this? Why would they care about you taking micro amounts of money that might be on the floor or uh, you know, that, you, that you find a $5 chip on the floor and take it or you, uh, you play an abandoned machine with a few cents in it? Why, why is this a big deal? And some people say, oh, well, the casinos, they, they don't want to give up anything. If it's, uh, if it's not your money, they don't want you cashing it out. Well, that's true, but believe me, they don't care about a dollar. The reason these laws are on the books is to prevent vagrants or other undesirables from hanging around casinos 
and trying to support themselves this way. You guys have probably heard about the tunnel people, the ones who live in the storm drains uh, under Las Vegas. There's been various... uh, You can go on YouTube and watch the stories about them where they actually go down to the tunnels and you see these people. And Some of the tunnel people have said in their interviews that this is what they do to support themselves. This is what they do to scratch out a very, very meager living is they hang out in casinos all day and look for those micro amounts of money sitting around and take it. So casinos don't like that... uh, they don't want to incentivize vagrants and other undesirables just stalking the casino floor looking for this. And it's not just because they don't want these type of people hanging out there, but also, I mentioned the example earlier, let's say someone abandoned a machine with $60 because they went to the bathroom or, or you know got an emergency phone call and had to walk away. I said that I would not jump on it because I would feel that I'm probably grabbing a machine someone's going to come back to. The vagrants hanging out there are not going to show such restraint. They will jump on it in a second and probably just hit the cash out and run to the uh, little machine that does the cash outs and get out of there. So they anybody they see doing this, they don't want there. That's, that's the general feeling that the casinos have. So there are laws on the books that make this a crime. And it's very easy to make this a crime because uh, it's against the law to transfer casino chips or credits to other people. So you can't, for example, if you owe me $100, you technically cannot pay me with a casino chip. You won't go to jail for it. I won't go to jail for receiving it, but the casino will, uh, will and can confiscate it if they find out. So if you're ever cashing in chips at a casino and they say, well, how do you get this chip? Never say my friend gave it to me. Never say that. So that's why they have these laws on the books. And they, they want people to believe that if they hang out there doing this all day, that if they get caught, they're going to be arrested to where it's, it doesn't become worth doing for a lot of people. The average person is never going to stock casino machines all day to pick up a dollar here, a dollar there, but someone who is, is, is super broke living in a tunnel under the storm drain tunnel and just needs a few bucks a day to survive, uh, that person probably will. So that's who they want out of these casinos. And that's reasonable. And in Nevada, that's pretty much the attitude they take. In Nevada, they're not looking for the actual gambler who's really there to gamble normally, who happens to see the machine next to him has a dollar twenty-five left in it and wants to spin that machine too. They're never going to arrest that person. They're never going to arrest the person who finds a $5 chip on the floor. They're never going to arrest the person who uh, grabs a cash-out voucher that someone left sitting on top of a machine because they don't feel like uh, cashing out $0.75. But in Colorado, it's different. In Colorado, they really are looking to cite and jail customers who do this. And that's very perplexing because what is the casino gaining from doing this to good customers? So here is a – they had a a little interview with someone named uh, Dan who has some kind of state professional license, so he doesn't want to use his last name because he's afraid that maybe his – whatever industry he works in that they might look into taking his license. But he said, there is no intent to steal from anybody. I had no idea. 
the court records show from Gilpin County District Court in Colorado that Dan went to Johnny C's Casino in Central City earlier in 2017, uh, played the slots, but also saw a $2 credit on the machine next to him, so he played that as well. He left and nothing happened to him. And yeah, keep in mind, he, he didn't just come in, play the $2, and, and, and get out of there. He, he, he played slots. He, he, was, he played the slot, which they want slot customers. Slot customers tend to lose a lot of money. So he played slots and played $2 that was left next to him on an abandoned machine. Okay? He did that, he left. Next time he came back, he swiped his player's card into a machine, and immediately they came down and security personnel surrounded him. He says, I go upstairs to the third floor into a dirty little room, and someone tells me I stole $2 from the casino. He said he told security agents that he was glad to pay the $2 back right now, and he was unaware it was a crime to play abandoned credits. He said they refused, and they handed him a citation. And I'm looking at the citation right now. It has his name blocked out, but it says the people of the state of Colorado versus Dan, rest blocked out. As the count, it says a plea of guilty, deferred sentence, and he was fined $253 for this. Why did he plead guilty? Well, because he didn't have to uh, actually go to jail for this. He said, they said that uh, if he pled guilty to misdemeanor fraud and he'd get a deferred sentence and pay a $253 fine, then he could have his criminal record sealed. They told him they had it all on camera. He said, I was guilty, I guess. You're certainly not stealing it from the casino because it wasn't theirs to begin with. He says, there's certainly times where there are laws, but they are not morally or ethically correct. So, court records show Dan had to pay more than $250 in fines. Then he also had to pay for his own FBI criminal background and fingerprinting. Because <laughs> he, he played a two-lot machine next to him. Uh, he had to pay for probation services. And he had to perform 24 hours of community service and be banned from all casinos for a period of one year. Can you imagine? So he says, you can't walk down a row of slot machines and not see some amount of money on a few slot machines. He said, maybe it's only two or three cents, but where do you want to draw this line? And uh, an attorney in uh, Denver named Terry O'Malley said, what we're doing here is we're telling people we're going to surprise you when you get to the casino. The rules that applied outside on the street or at your home or at work are different. And uh, his law firm is actually representing at least two customers accused of casino fraud. So they're basically saying, if you find money on the street and you pick it up, that's not a crime. If you find uh, anything else of value out on the street, uh, it's it's yours, or even not even in a private business. If you're in a restaurant, and you find money on the floor and pick it up. It's it's fine. Now, if someone claims it and says, "Hey, this was actually my money," and they they can, uh, you know, you're supposed to give it back. Or if the restaurant says it's their money and they they seem to have a reasonable claim to that, you are supposed to give it back. But uh, other, but you're still either way, you're not going to go to jail. It's not a crime. So they're saying, "Why? Yeah, what the hell ever happened to finders, keepers, losers, weepers?" Exactly. That's that's, that's the whole I don't point. understand. Like if you. If you get sent something in the mail by accident, like you can just keep it. 
Right, and this then this is what uh, that attorney said. He said, "You find a dollar on the sidewalk out front, you're okay. You find you find a five dollar bill, you can celebrate and go have a hamburger. But you find it inside of a casino, you may be heading to jail. For sure, you're going to get charged with a criminal offense." And uh, he what said, "He said he suspects the motive has less to do with money, and more to do with privately run casinos allowing state gaming enforcement agents to look like they're doing their jobs." I have to agree with this. I was thinking about this, too. It's obviously not about the casino saving a few bucks. It's obviously not about getting the vagrants out of there because they're going after people who are actual customers. Like this Dan guy, they they should like him as a customer. He comes in and plays the slots. That's what you want. So he also runs $2 for free on the machine next to him? Great. A big deal. It doesn't even hurt them. I mean, they should be happy. It's $2 that that was not theirs to begin with. That, that he runs as well. He gets a little good feeling out of it, and uh, he, he's still a slot player losing all kinds of money. They should be thrilled. So it's clearly not the casino. Like, I understand the casino's wanting the vagrants out of there and, and wanting the people who perpetually stalk these machines to find them. I understand why they are not people that they want uh, in their facility. But regular customers who do this, it doesn't make sense. So I have to think that state gaming enforcement agents probably put pressure on the casinos, probably say... And it's possible they even, and I'm just theorizing on this, it's possible they say, look, we'll keep the vagrants out who do this. We'll keep the people out who are stalking machines to do this all day. But if we're going to do that, you have to let us do this to everyone. So we want to get the people who are just here to do that, and we want to get the regular customers who might be doing it as well. It's either all or nothing. Or they they might be threatening that they could... uh, Hold the casino responsible in some way if they are hindered from uh, enforcing this law. So whatever it is, the casinos go along with it. And that's uh, this has been happening there. We're almost a thousand people. Now, some of these have been... I wish it was broken down in this article, but it's not. Some of these have been actual cheaters, and that's fine to arrest them. But uh, the majority of these, I believe, of these thousand probably the vast majority, are ones who are just doing this. So it's, it's a real trap they're setting in Colorado, and I think it's the state wanting money. I think the state uh, – see, I don't think the casinos are doing this about money, but I, I believe the state is about money. I think the, you know, the, the state does everything for a reason. These gaming enforcement agents, I, I don't think they're doing it to get their jollies. I think that the state has found that this is a nice revenue source. So if you're in Colorado – do not ever, ever do this. Or <laughs> they're probably going to get you because they're watching. They're constantly watching. And the ones that have been known to especially go after people, the casinos where this is happening the most, in Colorado, Ameristar, The Lodge, Sasquatch, Wildcard Saloon, The Isle, Lady Luck, Monarch, Golden Gates, and Johnny Z is the one we were just talking about. It's also important to notice that... Uh, there are no warning signs telling customers that it's a criminal offense to use abandoned credits or to cash in chips that you find on the floor. So that's what uh, some people are saying, that if this is something they really don't want to be occurring, if they really want people to not do this, why not put prominent signs that this is a crime? I bet that would stop a lot of people like this Dan who's not going to commit a crime to get two bucks. Especially a crime that's being enforced pretty uh, 
It wasn't enough that the state just absolutely rapes people with the lottery. They got to do this too. Yeah, it's, I mean, it just seems so ridiculous. It's awful. That's the problem. Is that you, you've some of these local and state governments, what they get away with, what they do to the people in the name of money, is is terrible. Yeah, and it's not the big things. It's like the death by a thousand cuts from these dumb little things like this. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and and the problem is there. There's sometimes, sometimes it is judged how well someone is doing their job at the state or the local level. It, some somewhere in government, it is judged in some places. Somewhere means in some places it's judged how well you're doing your job by how much revenue you're bringing in. So. Someone seems to believe in Colorado that by bringing in all the revenue from all these fines, that's going to make them look good. Maybe they can move up the ranks. Maybe they will uh, get rewarded in some way. So that's that's always the reason for this. There's always a reason behind these things. And it's uh, they, they don't care who they hurt. They don't care who they screw. They hide behind the technical law on the books, which is the spirit of the law is not meant for this. It is meant to punish those that uh, use the casino as a way to uh, grab whatever you know little bits they can. They to walk around the casino and, and grab every little bits of money. And, and the reason I support getting those people out is I have had those type of people beg me before. I'm playing video poker. Hey, man, can you? Can you, you I see you've got a lot of credits there. Can you give me twenty bucks? Like I, I've gotten that before. And it's really annoying. So. Get the panhandlers out. Get the the vagrants, the stock machines for a dollar. Get them out of there. That's great. I fully support that. But uh, to, to be actually looking to prosecute anyone who does it, regardless of circumstances, that's completely wrong. And there's an easy way to separate it. There's an easy way to separate it. They could, they could say, uh, yeah, there there could be something that. Uh, you can't do this without actually playing. You can't. You, you have to be there a certain amount of time before they will, uh, or, or a certain a certain number of times before they'll arrest you. Something like that. You have to be witness doing a certain number of times before they'll get you. Something like that, where where it's not you just do it once and they get you. There could be various things that could protect the average customer who just does it from uh, any kind of fine or prosecution. But they don't want that. They want. They actually want to arrest people and cite people for these uh, ticky-tack, quote, crimes. So that's terrible. And I, I have to think maybe the casino doesn't have a choice. Sometimes the casino may... The the state may have the casino's balls and advice here. And the casinos never want to piss off the state. That's the last thing they ever want to do. So, pretty disturbing. On a somewhat lighter note... Is this about Leanne? No, but let's let's bring this. Since you bring it up, let's 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 jump to that for a second. So can I can I set it up? Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not an official topic, but it should have been. So go ahead. So I was reading the news the other day, and and like you know, I mean, there's nothing but sex scandals, right? Yes. There's sex scandal here, and this guy's coming out here, and this guy's confessing to this, and I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. So it was. Um, saw a headline about Al Franken and uh, about how he had been uh, accused of – he's a senator from – is it New Hampshire or no, Vermont? It's, it's, no, it's neither. It's Minnesota. 
Oh, Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but in any event, I was, you know, I was reading. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. Another comedian is uh, being accused of this, and I'm reading down, and it's talking about tweeting, like tweeting this, tweeting that. And I'm like, that sounds really fucking familiar. I'm like, that that name just sounds super familiar. And it says Leanne Tweeden, and I'm like, that was the that was a poker after dark chick. Yes. Right? I'm yes. like, that's how I know her, because she's, right. she's like the, you know, the eye candy on, on Poker After Dark, right? Yes. And so it ends up being that, you know, she was doing a USO tour with, with Franken, and um, he was rehearsing some scene and decided that uh, he was going to kiss her and, you know, something about a tongue here or there or something like that. And then there was also a picture where she was passed out, and um, she's wearing, like, a flak jacket or whatever, but he put his hands over her tits while she was passed out, right? Yeah. And obviously, you know, whatever. Um, so I saw that, and you and I were kind of talking about that, and then <laughs> I found that article that I, or that series of pictures that I passed along to you, and it's got pictures of her, like, grabbing various soldiers, like, holding onto their faces and kissing them and stuff. And it's got her, like, smacking, like, grinding this other performer, and it's got her smacking this other guy on the butt. And I'm just looking at it, and I'm thinking to myself, like, if the role were, were reversed, and Franken was the guy that was up on stage, and, and uh, or she was the one that was up on stage, and he was the one that was, like, slapping her ass and pinching her and grinding on her and everything, I mean, there, it would just be ridiculous outrage. And I'm not minimizing any of the various sexual harassment things that have come out because some of them are pretty fucking horrible but this just seems ridiculous and opportunistic to me i mean what are your thoughts on this well yeah i still i I saw what you sent me the other day and i'll tell you i i see this a little bit differently uh now there's no doubt that that leanne Tweeden has used uh sex to sell even even it hasn't actually been sex but she's tried to Look, her looks, sex, anyway. either her looks. looks she, she's, yeah. she's, uh, that's her career. Let's yes, be honest. Yes. That's her career. And it's not even just looks. Yeah. She's worn uh, bikinis. And all that. It's, a lot of this right. has been. She's basically selling sex without actually having sex. Uh, so, or a sex appeal. Sex appeal, right? That. And and, uh, and then yeah, there were these. What you showed me in that link of of her, uh, you know, like grabbing the guy's ass on stage and stuff like that. So she, but, she, but she, just imagine that the, the role was reversed there and that was Franken doing that to her. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I understand. I, I understand. That'd she be probably a fucking headline, right? I, I understand. But the, but the thing is here, I, there's since been some other reports about Franken, not super widespread yet. Like it was with Harvey Weinstein, but there, there's, yeah, there's another girl that came forward. There's another, yeah. and then there's two more that came forward today, but haven't said their names yet. But, uh, We'll see. We'll see if that's legitimate or not. But that just happened today. But but it's and even Franken's response. Th- this is what bothers me about these responses of the people who are accused. Uh, and it, what, at least when I say it bothers me, I mean I, I know they're probably guilty. And whether you want to say it's a serious offense or not, that that's up for debate. But when they say, "I don't remember doing such and such," I'm not, I'm not saying they're lying, but I'm, I don't remember it happening. Well. You know what you're capable of, okay? Like if someone accused me of groping women who didn't want it or expect it. I'm not talking about women I'm dating or anything like that. I mean like just, you know, strangers or relative strangers that I just groped without their consent or permission or or desire for me to do it. 
If right. a woman ever came forward and said that I did this to her, my immediate answer would be, that's impossible because I never do that. I've never right. done it. I never would do it. That's just not me. I don't ever do it. It's it's impossible for this to be true. Even if I was much more well-known than I am, even if I was really famous and, and I've met tons of people and I don't remember everybody I met, I would say, well, this is something I don't do. So I would come out and say, not, well, I don't remember if that happened. I'm not saying she lied. I wouldn't say that. I'd say, I do not ever do this. No one can right. ever come out with any evidence that I ever do this because I never do it. And yeah, this person that's not me. That's just not me. I don't ever yeah. do it. I've never done it in my life. I never will do it. Right. That's very convincing. And then, you know, I challenge anyone to come up with any evidence that I've ever done it because I never have. When you say, well, I, I, I'm not saying she's lying, but I don't remember it happening. That means it ha- either you know it happened or you've done this enough to where it easily could have because that sounds just like yeah. you. <laughs> like I don't remember it, but that could have happened. Yeah, it could have been me. I could I could have <laughs> done that. So so that was basically his answer, and a lot of them have given some form of that. So obviously, Al Franken is not uh, an attractive guy, especially if, you know to a younger woman. No, no, like- no. But hold on, don't don't misunderstand me. I'm not looking at this from the point of view of is Franken innocent or guilty. I mean, it, you know, it's very likely that these things happened, right? I'm just kind of more looking at it from the point of view of, well, she's fucking guilty of it too. You know, at least from from what I'm seeing in these pictures, if he was doing this to her, he'd be just absolutely crucified in the press. Yeah, well, that's 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 where I disagree. It depends if who she's grabbing and like what their their attitude would be about uh, if the guy doesn't mind if he, if he's like. Well, what, 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 okay. Realistically, like how many guys are going to mind? That's that's what I'm saying. The guys aren't going to mind. Oh, if some hot okay, chick okay. is grabbing them on stage, and you know, the, the, okay, fine. So, like, it's, so it's not the act. Okay, I got. It's it. not I, the I act. It's, it's about what's so so. With, and just like if if he had approached her and said, uh, you know, let's if he writes this kissing scene. So he wrote this skit where they're supposed to be kissing, and obviously he wrote that for a reason. Uh, so the whole thing is very premeditated. But but uh, he, he writes this kissing scene, and she says, let's practice it. If she's like totally into him, oh yeah, I've I've wanted to practice this all day, and they they go behind somewhere and practice it okay fine you know so they both wanted to kiss and they you know he wrote the kissing scene she was all for it, and then they they practiced it by by making out the back somewhere fine that, that doesn't so, matter so it's only it's only sexual harassment if you don't think the other person's cute well Is that what you're no, saying? If, if you don't want it and then they <laughs> when they press it anyway that's the problem if, if it's so if it, ugly ugly people are far more likely to be accused of sexual yes sex. yes because it's not wanted okay. exactly and especially okay. guys because like like girl Girls, even if they aren't that good looking, most guys are are horny enough to where like they're they're fine with girls grabbing them anyway. And I guess so isn't, if, the, isn't this some kind of like ugly shaming? They're, they're, you know, it seems horribly skewed. Well, it is, <laughs> but here, here's the problem: is that you know, it's just a matter if the person wants it. If the person wants it, then it's not sexual harassment. If they don't want it, and right. it's proceeded anyway, but but unfortunately for the ugly people, it's much more likely it's going to be unwanted for them. Now, that's Alfred, exactly the difference between. Yeah. Uh, Someone being flirty and someone being creepy. Yeah. It's whether you think the other person's attractive, right? But, but yeah, but That's I can understand that. Like, like, you can even take it sure. further. You can even take it like to sexual preference. Like, like if, if a hot chick wanted to grab me, uh, I, I'd say, okay, yeah, fine, go ahead. If it's some dude who wants to grab me sexually, I, I'd say, yeah, absolutely not. So, and, sure. and yes, I, I would, I would definitely sure. feel victimized by by some dude trying to grab me sexually. Where I wouldn't feel victimized at all by a hot chick doing it. So that's sure. Yeah. So yep. yes, it's 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 just about what you would want to have happen. And so the fact that 
Al Franken. But here, here's the other thing, though. I mean, this is. I, I think this is kind of interesting. I mean, we, there are all different kinds of of peer pressure, and I think you're right that you know, in those photos, odds are really good that all these guys are just like, "This is awesome. This girl's you know grabbing me and fondling yeah. me. This is fantastic." But even if there was this one guy in a hundred who you know didn't like it or you know whatever, there's a whole lot of peer pressure for him to never admit that. You yeah, because all of his buddies are going to be like, "What are you doing?" Well, yeah, like what he are you could talking be talking about yeah. like he could be gay or something and just kind of be disgusted by a woman grabbing him. But uh, uh, but a, still, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's there's definitely a peer pressure there for you know why would you not want that? I can't even imagine anyone kind of going out and 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 saying something against it unless it's like a um, uh, a power position type thing. You know, like a female boss and an and an underling or something. Yeah, I mean, then I then I could see them coming. It, it, it is true that like for a guy to come forward, especially with a, a woman harassing him, that's uh, it's very tough for a guy to come forward about that, even if it is bothering him. Yeah, because uh, every other guy on the planet's gonna be like, "Oh, boo, fucking yeah." Boo. <laughs> you know? Well, not only that, but there's there's the fact that the the guy can't claim that he feels like that uh, that he couldn't stop it physically. That's yeah. the, like the guy would say. Yeah, they'll like say, "Well, okay, guy, then, yeah. then then put, then push her off then if you don't want it." Like that's that's what most people would say. So. Yeah. The situation with Al Franken, the part that actually, to me, is most egregious is not what's getting the most attention. What gets the most attention is that photo where he has his hands over her breast while she's sleeping. But if you look carefully in that photo, it looks like he's probably not touching them. It looks like they're right over the breast for the photo to kind of look like they're, he's touching yeah, them. Yeah, they're just kind of hanging there. And, and, yeah. Yeah, and it makes sense because he doesn't want to wake her up. So it's like, let right. me pretend I'm grabbing her breast for the, the way the camera looks. But this way, I'm really not touching her. So it's not going to wake her and take this funny picture. So is this in bad taste? Yes. But th- that, to me, can be dismissed as a joke. You can say, okay, I thought she'd think this was funny and I wasn't actually touching her. So even if you want to say it's degrading, it's not, uh, you know, she wasn't actually touched or molested in any way. But the, the fact right. that they, he writes in this kissing thing keeps repeatedly demanding, we've got to practice this. We've got to practice this. And she knows what he's trying to do. And that, and that's honestly, that's just like really creepy. And yeah. And, and so, and, and then so finally she relents and says, okay. And then he grabs her and like forces his tongue in her mouth. Like that's, uh, that, that is the, by far the worst part of the story to me. And that's not getting yeah. very much. People aren't discussing that much. They just keep discussing the picture. Like, well, it doesn't look like she's, he's grabbing her breasts or maybe this yeah, was just I think a joke. You're right. I think that picture is kind of like a red herring in some way. It is. It's just, it's just like an attention grabbing thing to see Al Franken doing that. But that's, if you think about it, that's and this is also before he was a senator. That's by far not the worst part of the story. So, okay, let's let's throw on a phone call here from someone who appears to be from Canada. Uh, caller, you're on the air. Todd. Yes. It's Mike. Sir Bob. Oh, Sir Bob. Hello. What's going on? Not much. I just wanted to add um, the photos that uh, Calawat was talking about. I believe were taken at the on the same USO tour the one she took with the guys. Yes. So maybe she created a, uh, an atmosphere for where Al Franken thought that that was okay. I mean yeah. it's, it's it's possible it's uh, though though I think that ha- the I think the uh yeah, I guess it's possible. Like the photos that were taken, maybe if Al if Franken she's humping every other guy. Yeah, there, yeah, maybe like, if I want to get a hump all too. Guys, they were all drinking. I'm sure, and, and he might have thought it was okay because she was doing it. Yes, that's that. That is possible. That that's another reason why the photo may not be that outrageous. It's just the it's a kissing story before that all that happened is what bothers me. The, not the photo. 
right. photos well, and bother right, me. But right. he, he's right, though, because if it is an atmosphere of them joking around, I could totally see yes. him being like, oh, why would she care if I took this funny photo? I'm not even touching her. Yeah. You know? He just humped five guys, yeah, so why is she going to care? <laughs> and he might not even have thought she'd ever see the photo considering she was sleeping, and he just... Right. Well, well he, they were all it, joking around. It sounds like it was that kind of uh, atmosphere. Well, the, the expression on his face, and I agree with Druff on this, the expression on his face is, you know, not, oh, yeah, you know, I get to, to fake touch her, her breasts here. It's more like he's, he's kind of being funny and goofy, you know? And he's so, going for those faces. That's what, you know, that's, right. he's a comedian. Those faces are part but of I, his... But I do uh, agree with Druff. If he's, if he's writing in something to, uh, you know, try to uh, try to get her to kiss him in the scene i mean that's just i mean and then actually repeatedly uh, repeatedly gets her to try to rehearse it with him and then when she finally reluctantly agrees shoves his tongue in her mouth that's 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 the part to me that's that's bothersome not not the photo that's that's what i felt from the start when i saw this whole thing if it was me like if i knew this a little bit weird that she reluctantly agreed also though like who's all franken really well, if it, if it was me, and I make her really... break her career if she says no. That's all I'm saying. I'm not doing this. Yeah. Well, if, right. if it was me doing it, I would put something just absolutely revolting in my mouth. So that when he went, <laughs> when he went for it, I just like shove it right in. Like get some baby food or something. He opens, goes for the tongue. He just kind of squirts. That would it right that in would there. be a good Frank. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's one way to when do with seen, it, right? When I seen the picture of him where he's pretending to grab her, all I could think about was the uh, motorboat incident with Nolan Dallas. Yeah, I thought about that too. Always the uh, same kind of atmosphere uh, as that. I thought about that too. I actually thought about that, like that we we had the same kind of discussion of like, was is it possible Nolan Dollar just he just really thought that that was the atmosphere there and she'd be cool with it, and then uh, she wasn't. Like, so that's that's I'm possible. Pretty sure that is what he probably thought, unless he is just a total like weirdo, and I've never really heard that part of it. So I'm pretty sure, yeah, he thought it was okay because of whatever everything else that was going on. Yeah, on both sides. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Todd. All right. Thank you. Griff, you, you make a really good point, though, that you know, if it's sexual, it's sexual harassment when it's unwanted on the other side. Right? Yes, and men are, you know, generally very unlikely to for for it not to be wanted. So it it is by that it is by definition almost going to be very very one sided. So yeah, I, I agree with you there. You made a good point. Yeah, and and also the, there's a second factor to it is that sometimes women, if they're alone with a guy, can be physically intimidated that they're afraid if they say no what if it turns to rape or violence. So sometimes they they think I better just go along with the safest way. Where a guy who doesn't want it can just so, you know, he doesn't have that fear. He can just say, you know, what's going to But I, I also kind of agree with the caller in that I think that it's somewhat unfair in a way that, you know, from all from all the pictures and everything, this the atmosphere looked like, she, you know, she was having a blast and she was, you know, very flirty and having fun. And I don't know. I mean, it just feels kind of unfair that that atmosphere can kind of be created. But as soon as someone decides that they don't like this particular joke or whatever that you know it's all going to change yeah i mean if it was the picture only i agree with the caller too by the way but as far as like what ruff said about him writing in the kissing scene and saying we have to take 10 takes yeah that's that's where i think he buries himself yeah i actually that's pretty nasty i actually knew a a guy who did a version a lesser version of this this was back in college and uh so he didn't sexually harass anyone to to his credit but uh this was in the the student in his dorm government there was this little retreat that we had up in the mountains to, to start the year 
the people who were involved in the dorm government. And there was one girl who was in this uh, dorm government who was really hot and also far hot. Like most of the other girls involved in this range between like ugly and average. There's there's one outlier who is like not just hot for the dorm government. She was like there's like on an absolute scale very hot. Okay, so I I actually didn't like her because of her personality. She was like super arrogant, super full of herself. So as soon as I noticed that about her, I I had like no interest in her, even though I I found her physically very attractive. But I I, I never tried to hit on her at all because I just uh, I didn't like the arrogance. But this this one guy who was actually the president of the, of the dorm government there, he was very very uh, taken by her so he was whenever he it's set amazing, up amazing the shit you can overlook when a girl's really good looking yeah so so he wrote in <laughs> he, he actually wrote little skits and little group projects and every time guess who was always his partner uh... every time she was always his partner and he wrote in some skit where she was supposed to be his wife and stuff like that now to his credit he never touched her or grabbed her or anything like that so he didn't but but he tried very hard to uh, not just be around her and be close to her as much as possible, but even to have like a skit where they're married. So he tried very hard. He failed, but, but he tried. So that's, I, I, when I, when I heard what Al Franken did with writing in that kiss scene, I go, I know what this reminds me of. I remember this. I've seen that this. move before. Yeah. <laughs> so get some good material for the spank bank. I think that's what that was all about. Yeah. So, Okay, let's uh, let's see. What, so let's go on to the next topic here. Now that we've uh, we've inserted the the, the uh, Leanne Tweeden topic, which yeah, I, I would have talked about, but she had that uh, association with poker, which I thought was interesting. Like this huge scandal, and it's actually the mild association with poker. So Tony Big Charles is a low limit blackjack and poker player who has been around the gambling scene for quite some time. He's on Twitter as 7card2003. He does have a Poker Fraud Alert account, does not post very often, but has been posting in the thread that's about him on Poker Fraud Alert, which you can find in the Poker Community Discussion part of the Poker Fraud Alert forum. And I once invited him on this show, and his answer to me was, I don't know, I might, but uh, what's in it for me? I can't. He says, I can't understand what's in it for me which is kind of a funny answer. But you have to understand, this guy has uh, Asperger's. He, he claims he does, and I think he probably does actually have it. So his blog, which uh, a lot of people read just kind of for the lulls because of uh, the strange stuff he writes, he basically chronicles his adventures as a low-limit player, and he, he's always listing what his bankroll is. And his bankroll tends to range from... Uh, you know, a thousand dollars all the way to like ten thousand or like low five figures at best. Like it's it's not like he he, he, he like this never heap guy we had on earlier who ran it up to sixty five k very quickly. That that's never uh, Tony Big Charles. I've I've never seen his life bankroll like above fifteen k. And he's not a young guy. I I think he's uh, forty seven years old, forty eight years old or something. So I I. I read his blog a few times. I'm not like an intense follower of his. Uh, he knows who I am. I know who he is. We've never played together. Uh, he's got kind of a weird look to him. He kind of looks like someone you'd expect as like a like a criminal in a TV show, except he's not a large guy. He's actually, despite the name Tony Big Charles, you just picture this like big mafia enforcer type guy. Uh, he's actually like a, a pretty small guy from what I can see. 
But he does have like a scary looking face. You can see it right on his Twitter, by the way. Seven card 2003. Seven, if you spell it out. S-E-V-E-N card 2003. So I was, my attention was brought to his blog this week. And a meltdown that he wrote about himself that he had while playing blackjack. So you can read about this if you go to the Poker Fraud Alerts Poker Community Discussion forum and click on the Tony Big Charles thread. This is what happened. Do we have video of this? Or no, no. Right you know, he wrote about his own situation, so it wasn't even like uh-huh. someone. It's not even like someone said, "Oh, look what happened with Tony." Like he actually went and reported it himself. Otherwise, no one would know about uh-huh. this. That's what's if funny. It sounds if it sounds bad when he's the one who's writing it, it must have been horrendous. Right, but but you have to keep in mind since he has Asperger's, he's more likely to actually just honestly write what happened and not really understand that uh, yeah, it can yeah, make him look I bad. Guess so, so this this is what he did. He, this is what he wrote, and uh, but I'll set this up here. First of all, he knows how to count cards in blackjack, which yeah, it's not incredibly hard. A lot of people think card counting, you have to have this amazing memory. It's not like that. There's Not everybody can do it, but it's a lot easier to become a, a, a positive expectation blackjack player than it is to become a winning poker player. It's a lot less practice involved. But uh, I, I don't know if he counts cards well or if he makes mistakes. Because you, you can be a card counter and then make enough mistakes to where you're still negative expectation. I don't know how well he does it. I, I'd have to guess he's probably a, a positive expectation blackjack player. Uh, he definitely understands the concepts behind it, uh, provided he plays in the right games. But uh, anyway, another misconception about card counting in blackjack, which people typically get from watching the movies where it's featured or reading stories about it, you can't just sit down and effortlessly win. If you're a, a good card counter, that doesn't mean you can just sit down and be a guaranteed winner. It's a long, high-variance grind where you're basically giving yourself like a, a 51% chance to win with a lot of variance. So is that good in the long run? Yes. Is, does that mean you're going to win in the short term? Not at all. Not at all, 51-40. Yeah, I've watched people do it. I've watched people playing it. Like, oh, how you doing? Like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm down 15,000. Yeah. So, How's everything going? Oh, it's going good. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It, okay. It, you you need to have the proper bankroll for it. You need to be able to you know you need to do it a lot to smooth out the variance. It can, it can be very frustrating, especially because unlike poker, where if you get stuck, if you're in a good game, you can say, okay, well, this is a really good game. I'm going to sit here. There's a good chance I'll get out. No, uh, in blackjack, because counting cards is against the house rules, uh, they're going to kick you if they figure out that you're counting cards and not allow you to come back and play blackjack there or sometimes kick you out of the casino entirely. So you have to get up after a pretty short time, win or lose. And that can be tough when you're losing a lot. Mm -hmm. So anyway, getting back to his story, there's a reason I'm setting it up with all this here. He had a comped room at the Golden Gate Casino downtown, where I've never been. This whole mess started simply because he wanted a comp drink and believe it or not, he does not know how to use a coffee machine in a hotel room. What? That, that's why this whole thing started. It's not the cause of this, but the, the whole thing started because he does not know how to use a coffee machine in a hotel room. Drew, this is not hard. And, and this is, I, and I can tell you from knowing Ken Scaler, who, who has Asperger's, this is actually 
not uncommon with people who suffer from Asperger's were, were just kind of basic things like that, where, where they can do things like, like count cards and blackjack competently, but then basic things like uh, like using coffee machines or, uh, or doing laundry or something can be very hard for them for whatever reason. So, mm-hmm. so some of it's like kind of an unwillingness to learn, but, but some of it's just like they convince themselves it's hard and can't get it out of their head that it's hard. So okay. whatever he 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 had he conceded that he does not know how to use the coffee machine in hotel rooms. So he woke up, I think he slept some kind of odd hours. I don't think it was early morning, but whatever. He he woke up and he wanted a drink. I don't know if it was coffee, but he mentioned that the reason he went to go play blackjack was only because he couldn't use the room's coffee machine, wanted a drink. And that while he would have preferred to play poker, he's noticed that at the poker room the the woman you know, giving you drinks, the cocktail waitress only comes around every so often, and blackjack, they come around very often. So he only played blackjack for that reason. So he went down there to get his comp drink while playing blackjack, and at first thought to himself, okay, well, I, I'm not going to get myself in a big hole trying to get this comp drink. At least, he, at least he had the presence of mind to think that. He said, I'm only going to bet one hand of $5 each, and if the count goes low, meaning that the house has an edge... That I'm just going to sit out. So that's what he's doing uh, at first. But then okay. the count went very high. What the count is high means is that there's a lot more tens and aces left in the deck than twos through sixes, which is a big advantage for the player. Now, that's an advantage for every player, not just the card counters, but the difference is the card counters realize it and can up their bet at that point, while the average player does not realize it and does not up their bet. So He's sitting here, and he sees the count get up really high, Brett, and, you, and, and says, well, crap, now I can't, I can't continue betting $5. I've got to raise my bet, otherwise I'm, I'm leaving money on the table here. So he raised his bets to two spots of $20 each and lost. Count kept going up. He said, well, okay. Um, so what? It, it happens. I've raised the two spots of $45 each. Lost. Yeah, it's got to keep going, right? Yeah, they, they lost. It's, the count's still high. Okay, well, two spots of 100 each. He lost. Well, he said, okay, this is getting frustrating. And uh, I, I just came down here to, <laughs> to get a damn free drink, and I've already wasted a lot of money here that I didn't intend to waste just because the count got high. I, I'm going to get up from the table and take a break. So he stood up. Still waiting for his drink, by the way. <laughs> he stood up and, and took a short break, but he didn't like walk away. He, he took a few steps away. But kept an eye on the table because the count was still very high and he didn't want just some he, – he was by himself there. But he didn't want some other player coming and sitting down and, and wasting the, the good count there. So during the break, he was watching closely that nobody would sit and start playing because that would eat up the good count. And he wanted to come back after he cooled his head down and, and still place bets while the deck was a positive expectation. So then someone comes over and sits and starting, starts to play and thinks, oh, crap, I, I have to get back there. So he runs back there, started playing again, and kept losing. He's playing two spots, still losing. At one point, he pressed his bets as high as two spots of $450 each and lost. And he was down $3,000, he reported in this blog, which... Oddly enough, he changes that figure in the next day's blog, but uh, that's what he's claiming in this blog, that he lost, uh, at the worst point, he was down $3,000. But he was still keeping his cool for the moment. He was obviously very frustrated, but he was keeping his cool. But all it took was two guys to walk up and innocently ask him how it was going. 
Because, oh, no. <laughs> and I've had that before too when I'm playing, and uh, some dudes come up to me. The reason they ask that is usually because they may want to sit there, and so they want to know like how the table's going, how's the luck going at yeah, this they table. They want to know if it's a lucky table, right? Right. So they, I've had that before, and yes, it's annoying when you're losing your ass there. Hey, go, hey, and, you, and you can't get a fucking drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally see this guy's head starting to explode. <laughs> so this this is what this is what he wrote. This is on his own blog. He wrote this. Oh man! I was asked by two new guys who didn't see the losses how I was doing and if I minded them sitting, and I told them exactly how, what I was thinking. Okay. Oh no! Here it comes. Don't ask if you don't wish to know. I told them I could care less if the dealer and his mother died in a serious car accident. <laughs> and Druff, Druff, I would have put him on even more tilt because I would have said, don't you mean you couldn't care less? <laughs> and he just, his mind would just explode. And I hope that they went broke, became homeless, and lost everything. They had, and lost everything they had because if it happened to me, it should happen to them too. I told them how I feel about them hiring dealers who weren't white and are foreigners and how what? it should be and how it should be illegal because it's racist because you shouldn't <laughs> have because you shouldn't have to be Asian to get hired. Unfair to blacks, whites, etc., and all non-Asian people. What? <laughs> oh my God. I, I told them how my main goal was to make sure that no one had a good time unless I was too, and how people should be executed for people watching and how rude it is, especially if they're just out to have a good time, not caring about how this would affect the others who take the game seriously. Now he's talking about the two guys who approached him. Holy shit. Then, then he ended up by saying, I told them how this casino should be burned to the ground and how I prayed it would take place soon. Wow. Wow. This is on his own blog. This is not someone like exaggerating. This this is his own blog that he was explaining this. So wow. then right after that he came to his senses and says, "Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I I uh I I probably just uh, number one, I'm I'm chunking off my whole bankroll here and, and number two, uh I think I may have pissed people off and people may want to beat me up." So he says, "I'd be like, just kidding." Yeah, so so he goes, uh, "Security, security." So security comes over and he asks security, uh, "Can you please kick me out of this casino?" And escort me to my car because uh, number one, I'm afraid if you don't kick me out, I'm going to throw away the rest of my money I have with me uh, and just keep losing on this game. And and number two, I'm afraid people want to beat me up for the stuff I just said. So could you please, uh, bring, you know, walk me to my car? So, so security wow. security did. Well, then he wrote another blog the next day about the aftermath. And and by the way, this we're talking about. Uh, this all happened on November eighteenth, two thousand seventeen. Uh, this is now he wrote a blog on November nineteenth, two thousand seventeen. So just just three days ago. And uh, so first of all, in the blog, he apparently uh, lied about or miscalculated the amount he was down overall at the Golden Gate, because uh, it turned out that he was only down seventeen hundred there, not three thousand down, like he claimed. And also, what he didn't mention in the first blog on the 18th was that after losing at the Golden Gate, I guess it's possible that maybe this happened in between. Maybe after the blog, he went and played somewhere else. But yeah, that's the point, is that he went and played somewhere else after that. So after he had the Golden Gate kick him out, sometime after that, he decided to go to another casino, and did. Mm. And he played blackjack, and he actually won everything but $125 back. But then... 
things started to go badly again. And he chunked everything back off, and then some, and he was down $3,500 for the day. This was someone who started with a bankroll of like $10,000. So that was pretty significant. So that was uh, that was the stage he was at when he was writing this next blog the next day, on November 19th, about how he went back to a different casino, almost won it back, uh, then lost more, and was down 3500 So he wrote about that, but then he switched subjects. He switched subjects to write about women and gays and how, he was, how he was hoping that the world would return to the way it was prior to World War II. This is what he wrote. What the fuck? 70 years ago, before World War II, which I, I didn't realize that World War II was still going on in 1947, but okay. Or it was before World War II, actually, 1947. I think he means 80 years ago. But that aside, whatever he says, uh, women cared more about men's feelings and accepted them as they are. My mom considers homosexuality one of the worst sins, just like God does, and believed a woman's place is in the home if she's married. She never once dated after my father died when I was one. I wonder if his father dying when he was one <laughs> has to do with the way he turned out here. But, uh, he said, uh, but of course, then she worked a job to survive from time to time. Plus got welfare and food stamps at times. Mostly had to work, though. But, if she, but she wouldn't if she were married. A woman is supposed to be there for whatever her husband needs. If you read the Bible, you will see what a blessing a wife is and what she is to be like. Nowadays, nowadays, if you don't support queer rights, you aren't accepted in this world. It wasn't enough to, to want to get married. Now that they have this, they want to force others who don't approve of their sinful life to participate in, the wed- in their weddings or be sued and lose their jobs and businesses. They bully people mercilessly, including me, every time I ran away from home and hitchhiked by insisting I let them blow me. <laughs> so, uh, let me guess. This guy's single. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, I, I would think so. Th- th- yeah. th- then others become homosexual as an adult because they were molested as a child. No gay people want someone over 18. All the gay men I ever met wanted me if I were 15 through 19. Now, I'll, I'll give him credit there, okay? I'm not going to say all gay men, but I will tell you this was my experience. When I was on, on BBSs in, in the 80s and in the early 90s, and there were a lot of gay guys on those BBSs because uh, that was a place where it was easy to meet other gay men, especially on the BBSs where you list your sexual preference as straight, bi, or gay. So th- this was – and this is a time when gay people were much less accepted than today. So it was a lot easier to see you know, another guy listed as gay. You chat with them. You know, they go up and meet and whatever. So I understand why the guys were there. Uh, and, and I met a lot of girls off those things, so – of course I understand it, but what I noticed was when I was younger, when I was a teenager, when I was, you know, all the way up to about 20. When you were sexually harassing women on the BBSs. Yes. No, no, I was being sexually harassed by, by the gay guys on these BBSs. And it wasn't just me. Like it, it was a very, it was a common joke among all the younger guys on the BBSs that the gay guys there, including the, both the older and younger ones would harass the straight guys. And the straight guys were actually listed as straight. It's not like they had to guess. And, uh, but they would, boy, this was both online and also sometimes there'd be meetups where, where, uh, this would actually happen in person. And I noticed that like right after I got to be about 21 and especially once I was like 23, 24, it just stopped. It completely stopped because, and, and yet I watched other young guys who were younger than me that, you know, when I was 23, they were 19, 18, whatever, they were the ones getting harassed at that point. So I'm not saying all gay guys are like this, but I will say that 
I, I did have this experience that that being in my teens and and up to about twenty, I was much more appealing to the gays on these BBSs than once I was like twenty three. And I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, had I been like in my forties, then none of them would have wanted me. So now, would now would you say that it was because I'm genuinely curious? Would you say that um, the the gay guys? We're going after that age demographic more than the straight guys. We're going yes, after that yes, demographic yes, in women. Yes, I'll tell you what. For real? The, okay. the, yes, because this is what was happening. It's like like the straight guys. The straight guy would never say, "Oh, I don't want that woman who's twenty three. Like, the, yes, there's some there's some pedos, but for the most part, like the, the, a, a girl who's who's twenty three is not going to notice a, a a huge decline in in the number of people hitting on her because she went from twenty to twenty three. Or eighteen to twenty-three. She's not. She may not, might notice this from from eighteen to thirty or eighteen to forty, especially, but, but not eighteen to twenty-three. Like that's, that's no girl's ever going to notice that. A twenty-three-year-old girl's going to hit get hit on by everybody. So, um, so yes, that's uh, there are there are now there are plenty of straight men, even men who are in their forties, fifties, whatever, that would very gladly. Have sex with a girl who's you know, fourteen years old, fifteen years old, you know, if they could get away with it. So that's uh, I'm not saying there aren't a lot of straight guys out there who'd want that, and 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 straight, but but these same straight guys, a lot of them are not doing this to the exclusion of adults. Like they, these same straight guys who who are going after, you know, if they have the opportunity to hit on a sixteen year old uh, girl, they're not going to reject or or not be interested in the twenty three year old girl. They're they're going to be or the twenty five year old girl like they they'll they'll hit on them all. They're just not going to stop once it gets under eighteen. Where right. so so what you're saying is that the straight guys were much less discriminating. Yeah, <laughs> they were essentially yeah, right. Yes, the, the the straight guys were were uh, like hitting on a, a wide age range where the, uh, the the gay guys seem to be really focusing on the young ones. So so I'll I'll, I'll give him that one. I'll give him that one. That that's not 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 all gay guys do this, but I'm saying that I'll give him that there does seem to be a very very strong emphasis on youth in the gay community from what I have experienced myself. And, uh, so experienced uh, how I, I knew you'd jump on that. Okay, <laughs> so, oh, I'm just trying to get to the. the I, story, I just explained man. the experience. I, I've never had a gay experience. I'm just saying from the experience I just explained. So, so he says, uh, going back to this, all the gay men I ever met only wanted me if I were 15 to 19. No one since, but it's only women who feel this way about homosexuality. I don't know what he means by that. Uh, many men still don't like it. And it's why men hide it while women want the entire world to know they're gay and want to show it off by trying to be physically unattractive to men. I see. He's, he's trying to say that lesbians are ugly and they're trying to like do this on purpose to make men not like them. I, I don't believe that's true. Uh, I, I do believe that the average lesbian is not going to be very attractive to the typical straight man. But I think some of it is because a lot of the uh, lesbians are just kind of masculine to begin with, so they... Uh, they just yeah, some are, some are, but I've seen some pretty above average ones. Th- there are some, yeah. I'm just saying that there, there's a lot to uh, there, there's a lot who who are butch looking, but I don't think they're doing it on purpose not to be attractive to men. I think that's just what like the way they feel like looking, kind of like Vanessa Selps. I don't think I don't think Vanessa Selps is trying to look unattractive to men. I just think that that's the yeah. look she she wants and kind of like uh, how she feels. So well, she's just being practical and doesn't put a whole lot of. Uh effort into the whole styling, makeup, and all that kind of crap. I, I, I can have, understand. I mean, it seems like a lot of work, to be honest with you. I, I have wondered. I have wondered, and I've, I've never really gotten a straight answer on this when I've, when I've asked lesbians this straight question. Straight answer? 
Really? <laughs> I have wondered if if you are a lesbian, why why would you be attracted to women who look like men? Wouldn't you be attracted pretty much to what the same thing that straight men are attracted to? Why why would you want that? I know not all lesbians want that, but the, the lot that do that that are attracted to the butch looking lesbian, I think well. If you're not attracted to men, why would you want to be with? Uh, because you don't see that really that much with gay men. Gay men usually are not they're not looking for guys who uh, look like women. They may like sort of effeminate guys. They're never going to want to. Very few gay guys are, are wanting to be with guys who look actually like they're women. But uh, for some reason, lesbians. I, I've never understood why a lot of lesbians like women who look like men. Like why not to drove some men? some of the gender fluid community that is listening, their heads are exploding right now because you're being very binary in your thinking. <laughs> I just don't understand it. I'm sorry. I just it doesn't make I'm sense to me. Just trying to tell you, it's, I, a, I, spe- I, it's a spectrum. I, I, I can understand if you if just if, <laughs> if if you're a female and and what you happen to be attracted to is other females. Fine, if that's what you're attracted to, that's fine. But but if you're attracted to females, wouldn't you want to be with females who look like females? That's that's. That's what I want to be with, so that's what most men want to be with, so why wouldn't uh, lesbians also want that? Which some do, but some don't. So That's something I don't understand. That's you know, He should have added that, too. But he, he, he went too far. He was trying to say that lesbians are doing this on purpose. Oh, you, you think he went far, Drew? <laughs> <laughs> this guy wants to return to fucking pre-World War II? Yeah. And, I mean... Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. So I, I like he just works this in, though. Like he just, he just works this in somehow to a blog that's about losing his money... That, that in blackjack somehow this it, it goes to this so not exactly a sympathetic figure really <laughs> no it <laughs> sounds like the next Stephen paddock actually. well well that's that, so this pissed a lot of, the funny thing is this pissed a lot of people off because prior to this uh a lot of people saw him as like a, a lovable like quirky loser who you know who just kind of ground out a very meager living and, and lived in hotels basically on comps and all this like he he was someone with a life they didn't envy but they thought it was mildly interesting and they could kind of root for him but then when they see this they're like well it's hard to at this point when he's saying that he hopes the 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 dealer and his mother die and the casino burns to the ground and anyone who bothers him playing blackjack should die and the and that women that we should go back to pre-world war ii and women should should stay in the home <laughs> so he, he just he just made it impossible for anyone to defend him yeah <laughs> i mean literally impossible you know so and so i i posted this on poker fraud alert and then yeah tweeted that uh I tweeted to him like I put at seven card two thousand three to get his attention, and sure enough, he came here and started posting. But he didn't really respond to me. Like he wasn't mad that I posted this. He was just uh, um, he was responding to other people who were criticizing him there, including uh, Kilgore Trout, who's been on the show as, as Michelle. This is a that's a female who posts. But he thought Kilgore Trout was a, was a male, which is understandable. But he said, uh, you can tell this, in response to Kilgore Trout, he said, you can tell this is a man with a very little IQ and probably still lives in his mother's basement as little as he knows. Wow. I can I can list close to 17 rooms I play at Ve- in Vegas because Kilgore Trout is claiming he's been banned from almost everywhere, and you aren't even including all the hundred or so west of Vegas in, uh, in California or Washington. Uh, this guy and I should play Scrabble for my whole role. <laughs> wow! So he thought that uh, Kilgore. So I I, resp- I responded back to him, you know, saying about this guy, this guy. So I said, you think that's bad? Kilgore is about five foot two, ninety five pounds, and has sex with men. Hmm. <laughs> Wait a minute! You talking about Larry Laffer? <laughs> that's that's 
Right. That's not that's not very far from. Uh, wow. Sorry, Larry. If he's still listening, Larry Larry left the forum. Oh yeah. That in sucks. fact, in fact, there's a little controversy that came up because, uh, like, Brandon came out and did uh, a little expose about about Larry, and and one of the things he mentioned oh, really? was that, that. Was that okay. Larry uh, owed him money and and won't pay, and it was a very small amount of money. Oh. It was a, a two figure sum of money. So, Larry, indeed, that th- this is the truth, and and when this happened, Larry left the forum uh, a number of weeks ago, but. When this happened, he was mad at Brandon over something, which I, I thought Larry was in the wrong. But uh, putting that aside, because they had this fallout, Larry did not want to pay Brandon this uh, money that even Larry admitted he rightfully owed. And I said to Larry, I said, come on, like if, if you don't want to be friends with Brandon anymore, that's fine. You don't want to talk to him, that's fine. You want to hate him, that's fine. But if you owe the guy money, send it to him. You know, he, this, you know, you're not mad at him for anything having to do with scamming or money or anything. So, so right. you know, just just pay him the money you owe, and then just don't talk to him again. So, like, he says, you know, fuck Brandon. I'm not sending him anything, and you know, fuck you too. I'm not talking to you anymore either. I was like, whoa. So, 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 oh, so man, that sucks. I was sad. I was, I was like, well, Larry, who is. Uh, during the World Series of Poker, I met him. He was a nice guy. We got along well. You know, I even did a favor for him—not a sexual favor, by the way. I did a favor. And wait, wait—is this over the macaroni or whatever? No, that, was, that, that was somebody that else. Was something right? else. That was something else. But oh, but uh, okay, okay. but uh, yeah. So I, I was very, uh, it was very stupid, and I so he just wouldn't respond to me after that. So. I don't get it, man. I gave Brandon fucking God knows how much money just to get a goddamn slush. <laughs> yeah. So. So anyway, Larry uh, was finally, after this was brought out on the forum this week, I, I don't know if he talked to someone else about whatever. Larry's come to his senses and has agreed to pay. All right, good. So it hasn't been paid yet, but he says he claims he's. Either, I, I'm getting two different stories: one that I'm going to be sent the money in Bitcoin to then send to Brandon, or that uh, another user on Poker Fraud Alert is going to send me the money on his behalf. I, I don't know which one it's going to be, but supposedly Larry's going to pay. It's it's very little money, but at least at least Larry has. Uh, Agreed. You know, if Larry wants to leave the forum, that's fine. If Larry wants to, I don't know if he listens to the show anymore or not. But uh, if he doesn't want to talk to me, if he doesn't want to talk to Brandon, that's fine too. But uh, whatever. When you leave like this, you need to pay your debts, especially small debts. Yeah. So that's that's the the uh, Tony. Big I didn't Charles. know any of this drama was going on. This is the Tony Big Charles thing. I want to read one more thing he wrote on Poker Fraud Alert. Uh, someone had asked him if, uh, what was it? Oh, here it is. Kilgore Trout then asked him this. I heard that you really wanted to fuck an 18-year-old before you turned 60. You apparently said you were always with older women, so you feel like you missed out on hooking up with a young female and that you think it'll be the same experience it would have been if you hooked up with an 18-year-old when you were 18. Is this true? You do realize this is flawed logic, correct? I mean, I'm all for younger girls and older men, but hearing this made me think that that maybe someone should gently explain to you that maybe that ship has sailed. <laughs> so, mm. so she's basically saying it's never going to happen and that he should give up. Uh, a set of K's then chimed in and said, uh, um, last time I was studying Tony, he claimed he couldn't get an erection. I don't know if this is true, but that's what a set of K's is claiming that he said. Not sure if that's still the case or not. If not, he should just buy a hooker. Got to be careful with hookers, though. If she claims she's 18, she's probably 14. And if she claims she's 19, she's probably 26. 
Now, wait a minute. Why would you get a hooker if you can't get it up? Well, no, he's saying if, if not, if it's not the case. that, he, that uh, okay. It's like a double negative. If it's not the case that he can't get it up. Yeah, then, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, that, that seems like a useless thing to do. But I like what Seth K said about if she claims she's 18, she's 14. If she claims she's 19, she's 26 as far as hookers. That, that's probably true. And, in fact, I think if, if there's a hooker who claims she's, like, 33, you should really run because that means she's probably, like, like 50. Because no hooker who's 33 is ever going to say she's 33. She'll always say she's uh, I, I see. So the underage girl is going to claim that she's 18. Right. Just just to be legal. Okay, I get it. Yeah, and, and, I, and then, yeah, but, but I the, guess. I don't know. Now, the one flaw in this is that also girls who are probably between like, like 18 and, and 24, 25 are probably going to say they're 18. So there, there is, the, you know, there, there are, the hookers are going to have to claim they're some age when they really are between 18 and, and tw- early 20s. Uh, but but when he says she says there's 19, she's probably 26. That's probably a good point because 18 is like a very big thing in the hooker world. Like a lot of a lot of old perverts just really get off to the fact that they're with an 18 year old. So mm-hmm. like 19 and 18, even though they sound like they're the same to you, probably uh, for guys hiring hookers who who want young girls, that's like a very big difference. So he's right that that the ones that say they're 19 are probably like so far past 18 they can't they can't even bring themselves to say that anymore. Uh, so, anyway, going back to, to Tony Big Charles, though, he responded to Kilgore Trout. He said, not 18, but younger than I am now at 48. I don't want women in their 50s. I feel I missed out on normal girls 21 to 30. So, uh, and then uh, he goes on about something else I won't bother reading. So, um, that's interesting that, that he felt like he never got to be with women under 30. And now that he's getting up there himself, that uh, he feels that uh, he missed out on that in life, and now it's never going to happen. Now are we him. talking about Larry or this, that tilt no, wagon? No, 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 the Tony Big Charles. So okay. he's uh, he's regretting the fact that he never got to be with girls who were uh, under thirty in his lifetime. Well, it, it doesn't sound like age was the only kind of uh, barrier to entry for women with this guy. <laughs> well, that's what I think happened. That, that's what I think happened, is that, that when he was younger, he was probably just estranged, and that uh, that this was driving all the girls away, and that uh, now that he's... And that's probably uh, along the way, he probably found some desperate older women who were willing to have sex with him. And and so now he's older himself, and he's like, you know what? I, I never got to do that. And it There was a reason, sir. Yeah, he's like... You know, it doesn't even excite me much to be with women of my own age anymore. As I already did that, so yeah, I, w- I want to go back and, and <laughs> be with the younger girls. But uh, Kilgore yeah, Trout, some things don't really work that way. Yeah, Kilgore you know? Trout saying that ship has sailed. It's time to give up on that one. Unless, so. unless you got money, you got money, you got fame. Then, yeah. then maybe you got a shot. But not if you're going to go and rants like this. Like honestly, that's not going to get too many panties moist. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that uh, that, that rant from him was fucking. Off the charts. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Now, now, Dive Bar Dave in the chat says Tony has had many non-PC rants over the years. So, I guess I, I guess I missed them. I, I, I just don't follow his blog all that much, so I guess I missed them. Does he have a Twitter account? Yes, it's Seven Card Two Thousand Three. That's when you'll see the picture. I mean, it sounds like it would just be a. Tourette's bonanza on that fucking Twitter account. It is kind you of know? an odd Twitter account, but it's not. It's not as crazy as as these blogs were. These blogs really stood Surprised. out. Surprised. He doesn't just impulse tweet out, you know, death to the Jews or yeah, whatever. He, he like. <laughs> he, it's mainly not that exciting. It's mainly things like played where this place, uh, you know, 
one two hundred dollars uh, bankroll now ten thousand two hundred. It's, it's kind of stuff like that. So it's not that interesting. So I want to mention the collector, and I think he might even be listening. But we had him on last week. He's a very polarizing figure. I understand both sides of the argument regarding whether he should be doing what he's doing. On one side, you can say he's making scammers and deadbeats pay up, like they rightfully should. On the other hand, uh, there might be some innocent people who are being harassed uh, that it is associated with those people. And there's also the possibility that he might harass someone who uh, is innocent and has just convinced him that... uh, that, you know, that, that the, someone else convinces him that they're guilty. He is listening, by the way, right now. I just got a, a message. Jeff, I, I got bad news. I got to I got to sign off. Okay. I do have to get up early tomorrow. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for being here. As uh, Trader Risker, you still here? I'm here. Happy Happy uh, Thanksgiving, Calwatt. Have a good time. Oh, that's right. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. It, it's right. Thanksgiving already for Calwatt. And uh, yeah, anyway. happy Thanksgiving to you too, guys. I hope you eat so much you can barely move. I, I already had a Thanksgiving on Sunday too. It was my, my second Thanksgiving. So it's going to be uh, a, a double uh, situation for me with uh, pigging out. Okay, well, Calwatt, uh, enjoy tomorrow, and thank you for being here tonight with us. All right, man, next week. Yes, good night. Later. So I, I think we're doing a big service to the people who listen to the show. There's a lot of travel time on uh, bad traffic people will sit in or have sat in, and, and people who are flying across the country, and here they have a, a show the day before Thanksgiving. And uh, all three hosts were here. So, um, regarding the collector, who is listening, by the way. Uh, and I'm a big fan of, by the way. Let me just put that out okay. there. Well, I'll, I'll give you actually, a, a, you know, like Benjamin's mom listened to that segment. And I, I, I wondered what she was going to say about it. I really didn't know exactly what would be her opinion. And, and she said that uh, she said it was a very interesting segment. She actually didn't give her opinion on the collector himself, but she said that this was a, a very interesting segment, and that she uh, that she enjoyed it. It was it was a kind of a thought provoking segment, and uh, that it held her interest very much. And that was the general consensus I got. Most people who commented to me about the collector on the radio, they didn't so much take a position of whether he's right or wrong, but they took the position of, well, this is, you know, this was an interesting topic, and it was interesting having him on and, and hearing what uh, the whole situation is. So, uh, the, the one thing I was a little bit worried about, I'll, I'll tell you honestly here, because he 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 approached me, and to his credit, he approached me before ever posting on the forum and said, "Can I post here about this, or do you just not want this on the site at all?" And I thought about it, and I, at first I said, you know, first of all, I want to make sure that you're not ever threatening violence or anything to people you're collecting from. He says, no, I don't do that. So I said, okay, fine, yeah, go ahead. I, you know, I'm make it clear I'm not endorsing you, and you're not a sponsor of the site or anything. But but if you want to tell your story out there, you can. So uh, so he went and did so. So he did ask permission beforehand, and towards me personally, he's he's been uh, very respectful. But what I did worry about is I know this forum, and this forum has a lot of people who are critical, a lot of people who are not afraid to state their criticism and, and ask the tough questions. And then there's also trolls as well who just, who just like to troll to try to piss people off. And uh, I, I had a feeling that one or more of these groups of people were going to 
get the collector angry, and then we were going to have uh, some kind of uh, war here between the collector and uh, and, and use various users of the forum. This this was my fear. I didn't express it to anybody, but this was my my quiet fear. But I just you know I said okay, this is a free speech forum. I, I'm going to allow it anyway. But I, I was a little afraid that this might blow up, and and so it, it kind of did. Uh, so hockey guy who is a longtime member of the forum. Uh, questioned something that the collector said. I'm not even going to go into the story. It's not important. But uh, uh, they started going back and forth, and then uh, Hockey Guy uh, received th- some threats from the collector who didn't take well to it. And, and so I couldn't have that. So I, I had to ban the collector from here. And I, I did... When I banned him, it was at first just kind of a soft ban to where he just couldn't post because I wanted to still communicate with him in, in PM. And I, I forgot about the fact that I had him on Skype, but uh, I, I was writing to him in PM, and, and I said, uh, look, you know, I, I have to ban you uh, because you threatened a user here, and I, I just can't have that. So I had to ban you, but uh, you know, please respectfully exit the uh, the site here and don't, uh, you know, anybody who's pissed you off here, please don't uh, don't bother them. If you have respect for me and what I'm doing here, because you know, one thing he and I have in common is we both uh, hate scammers. So we may have different ways of going about it, but we we do both hate scammers. I said, look, you know, if you if if you have the respect for me, you say you have, uh, please just uh, don't make me sorry that I said okay, you can post here, and then you know, and then have longtime users end up being harassed in real life. You know, please just exit respectfully. So he he agreed to do that. So. Uh, the collector will not be posting anymore on Poker Fraud Alert. I had to remove him because this happened. And it, it's very simple. It's that I want people to be able to post here on Poker Fraud Alert in peace. And uh, and I'm not talking about people who have actually committed scams or things like that. But just you know, people who are critical, people who are uh, uh, very questioning, people who are – even people who are intentional assholes who, who just want to troll or, or get people angry. I still want them to be able to utilize the forum and say what they want to say and not have to worry that anything's going to happen to them in real life. And I don't just mean physical. I mean anything that's going to reach out into their real life and and become unpleasant. I want them to be able to turn off the forum and basically have it go away until they bring it back up again. And and so when, when there's something that, yeah, there's someone there that that's not doing that, and and I've had to remove, you know, as, as someone else recently. I won't go into that whole story again, but uh, I had to remove someone else recently who was who was uh, doing this and and threatening to harass people in real life, and uh, I, I I just can't have it here. And, and I don't mean something. You know, I'm more forgiving about this if there's like a, some kind of real long time feud between two people, and it just escalates too much, and then they end up threatening each other. Or, that's more understandable, but uh, just if if it just kind of happens out of nowhere, it's just something I just don't want on the forum. So that's why I had to remove the collector, and uh, that's that's why this is over. I, I appreciate that he has uh, uh, agreed to leave and not uh, you know not bother anybody, and uh, that that both he he came to the site and asked for my permission to post and that once and once I banned him that he also uh was able to put aside the animosity he had toward, towards a uh, hockey guy and maybe some others and and uh you know was willing to go away and uh 
from that and not uh, bother anyone further. So, and, and he didn't, you know, I should, when I say further, he, he did not actually do anything to anyone on the forum. So nothing had been done yet, and that's what I wanted to keep. So that's the situation. He's, I know he's listening to the radio show. If you'd like to continue listening, that's, uh, he's welcome to do so. And uh, that is the end of that story. I just wanted to give that little update. Uh, Libratus, which is a poker bot, but not not an evil poker bot. The evil poker bots are the ones that people unleash onto online poker sites where the opponents don't know they're playing against a bot and then beat people. Sometimes these bots even collude with each other. So the, the bots are very bad news. They sh- the bots should not be on poker sites unless the players know they're playing against bots and anyone caught using bots, I fully support banning them and, t- and taking any of their money and redistributing it back, you know, back to the players they played against. I fully support all those actions, provided that they really are catching real bot users and that it's not false positives. But uh, Libratus is not a bot like that. I guess it could be. I guess it could, to- if they used it that way, it could probably totally own the uh, the high stakes games online. Which, which you know, I always wondered, like, if you have something like this, if you have a poker bot that can just destroy even the best players in the world at heads up no limit hold'em, it probably does take some restraint to not want to just like unleash it on the poker on poker sites. And especially get someone to bankroll it and just play high limits against the best players and just destroy them. But uh, that's not what they did with Libratus. They actually uh, were open with that it's a bot and, in fact, challenged some of the best poker players to play against it to see how they would do. And there's been various matches that have been had recently where Libratus faced... Humans. Now, in January, there was a, a match where Libratus took on four poker players separately in heads-up matches. There was Dong King, not Don King, but Dong King. That's like Don King's dong. There was uh, Daniel McCauley, Jimmy Chu, not not the one who makes shoes, but Jimmy Chu, C H O U, and Jason Less. And they played Libratus at uh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's uh, Rivers Casino. It took 20 days, and they played a total of 120,000 hands heads up against the bot. I think 30,000 each. I don't know. If, actually, I don't know if it's 30,000 each or they, if they each paid, played 120K. Whatever it was. It's, it's uh, 120,000 hands were played. All four of them lost. And... I didn't know about this. I mean, I, I knew about the match at the time in January, but I didn't know this, that they changed the way the game works a bit to try to get luck out of the game. So there were two big changes from what's normally a no-limit hold'em match. First of all, after every match, the chip stacks were reset to be even. So this way, there was nobody who had a big stack advantage. There wasn't a thing where someone short stacked and they're going to always be, go all in with a reasonable hand pre-flop. There wasn't anything like that. They just, every time, both stacks were reset back to even with one another. It was recorded who was ahead, but uh, as far as continuing to play, each time they start with the same stack. Second, this is more interesting, if there was an all-in and a call before the river then there were no more cards dealt. 
they froze it, and it was determined what play, each player's equity was in the hand, and then distributed the chips accordingly. So there were no suckouts. Uh, there was some luck based upon you know bef- before any all-in moment. So you know, for example, if someone flops a set and then someone turns a higher set and they get it all in, the person who had the higher set is going to get most of the money because they have a very high equity at that point. And there, yes, there is a very big luck involved to get set over set. But uh, as far as once there's all in in a call, there's no all in luck. So that was changed. But uh, in the and they were playing with play money. But in this play money combined, Libratus won one point seven six six million dollars of play money, and they were playing fifty one hundred no limit hold'em heads up. The one who did the best was Dong King, who lost eighty five thousand six forty nine in these. Uh, 5,100 5, blinds uh, or 5,100 no, 5, no limit. And it was then calculated that there is a 97.7% certainty that Libratus was just a better player than all four poker pros. So it was only a 2.3% chance that he just happened to run well. And Anyway, the reason I'm bringing this up, even though it's a 10-month-old story, is there's a newer part to this story. And that is Libratus was given an award. Libratus won an award at the HPC Wire Reader's Choice... Or actually, it was the HPC Wire Reader's Choice Award at the Supercomputing Conference, known as SC17, in Denver. And uh, HPC Wire is the... It calls itself the leading publication for news and information for the high-performance computing industry. So, yeah, it won this award for uh, the design of this bot that was able to beat pretty much every single human opponent. And the, the way these bots get so good, by the way, in case you guys are wondering, is that they play themselves over and over and they play billions of hands against themselves and so it's basically two Libratuses playing against each other and learning and when it loses it basically analyzes it and says what could I have done differently and it logs so many hands it can do this very quickly far 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 quicker than any humans could ever play poker hands so it plays many it plays billions of hands which no human could ever play in their lifetime and learns from every single one of them and that's how it eventually becomes so good it's 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 pretty much had every situation you could ever think of in no limit holdem and every time it doesn't come out optimally it it learns from that and and uh, corrects it for next time so that's how they become so good. And then there's the second factor that there's no fatigue, no emotion, no tilt. So that's also a factor with these bots. It's always playing its A game. So yeah, it got this award. And uh, this is a press release from Tom Tabor, 
who's the uh, the publisher of HBC Wire. He says uh, HBC Wire's readership is broadly diversified. It includes industry leaders from the private sector, innovators in academia, and the end users that are bringing HBC to the enterprise. Being selected to win either a Reader's or Editor's Choice Award is no small feat. The, the success signifies support and recognition from the HPC community along with the industries it serves. It is both an honor and privilege to once again engage our readership to allow their voices to be heard. We extend a sincere thank you to our readers for their nominations and votes and a heartfelt congratulations to this year's winners. So, uh, so people actually voted for this. It was a Reader's Choice Award, and it won for Best Use of AI, which stands for Artificial Intelligence, for those of you that don't know. I wish I could just like go online and play it, just for fun. I, I would love to see how this thing does. And I, I'm not a great No Limit Hold'em player, uh, heads up, but uh, I would still like to see it. I'd, I'd love to see how it plays me. Well, something that's always bothered me about uh, poker, certain poker sites and even certain other things like uh, prepaid credit cards are inactivity fees. They, these really frustrate me. And that is where you have a certain amount of money loaded onto something, and then if you don't use it, it charges you a fee. It's also known as an account maintenance fee. But it's basically a fee for just having the account and letting it sit there. Companies defend these inactivity fees by claiming that if you're not using your account, whatever it may be, that you're not making them any money, and yet uh, they have costs to maintain your account. That uh, these costs should be shared by everybody. You know, it doesn't cost money to maintain your account specifically, maybe, but but, uh, if your account is one of, of many in their system that there is a cost to maintaining all of these accounts and that you're getting away for free because you're not giving them any business while everybody else who is giving the business, uh, you know, that, that basically they're giving you a free ride. But, but that's, that's kind of BS because the truth is there is no hard cost to it. There are not a whole lot of inactive accounts. And even if there are, it doesn't really cost that much more to maintain uh, a database of uh, a larger database of accounts. It's not. It's not like if it, let's let's say there's a, a database of thirty thousand accounts, of which five thousand are inactive. If you change this to fifty thousand accounts, of which twenty five thousand are inactive, that's not going to really change anything. It's going to cost pretty much the same to maintain all of them. So, I, I reject that these inactivity fees are needed. And also, there's also such a thing as just basically the cost of doing business. And that the, the player who has money on a poker site or the person who's holding a prepaid card and not using it for a while, if they have a good experience with it, even if they're inactive with it for a while, they may come back and, and be active customers one day. But if you piss them off with, with stupid fees, uh, they're probably never going to come back. They'll just be frustrated. So... Party Poker has long had an inactivity fee. And uh, this system has been there since uh, only a year after Black Friday. So it's been here for 10 years, so since uh, October 2007. And Party Poker actually blamed previous management 
for instituting this fee in, in 2007. But this inactivity fee has gone away. They claim the decision was made as part of the pledge to listen carefully to player feedback and respond positively to suggestions for improvements. Though people have been complaining about this for 10 years, so I can't really say that uh, they can't claim they're, ju- they're just discovering that people wanted this eliminated. But uh, this is on po- Party Poker's blog. If you go to uh, partypoker.com and go to their blog, you can read this. It's written on November 15th. Party Poker today announced that players will no longer be charged for fees for inactivity on their online accounts. The small admin fee, I like how they put the small just to make it not sound as bad, introduced by previous management in October 2007 was a monthly charge and was deducted from many accounts that were inactive for more than six months. The inactivity fee is currently refunded for any players who reactivated their accounts, either by making a deposit, making a cash bet or wager, entering a tournament, or playing a raked hand. So they were saying that up, up till now that... Uh, as long as you came back and were a tiny bit active, they would give you all that money back. Now Party Poker is removing the fee altogether as part of its pledge to listen carefully to player feedback and respond positively to suggestions for improvements. The removal of the inactivity fee is just one of a raft of measures aimed at improving the player experience in Party Poker. Last year, all withdrawal fees were abolished so players could access their winnings free of charge regardless of the payment option used. Party Poker has also taken a number of steps aimed, aimed at improving the ec- ecology of its poker room and pro- promoting fair and ethical gameplay. This has include, included randomizing seating for cash games and anonymizing local hand histories to prevent data mining and to protect both professional and recreational players. So, they've decided that they don't want this fee. I, I think the real reason they did it, that they did away with this, was number one, it probably wasn't bringing in much revenue, and number two, it was probably pissing off fish. You know, if you think about who doesn't play for six months, it's probably more likely the recreational player who has some money on there and then kind of forgets about it or gets busy and stops. It's not going to be the the grinder. The you know the the, the online grinder is not going to sit there for six months without playing. So, I think they realized they're pissing off the fish that they need there in the first place, and that this is a stupid way to get them mad. Uh, Mike Sexton, you know, he's back, he's back involved with party poker. And this is party poker chairman. Mike Sexton said, listening to players is central to everything we do at party poker. Uh, yeah, I'll do it in his way. Uh, that means absorbing all comments and complaints, whether in forums, chat rooms, or social media platforms in conversation with our customer service team or face to face at live events. Sometimes players wish to take a break from the game for whatever reason without having to worry about their account balances here on Party Poker. Players should not be charged an inactivity fee, and we are pleased to be removing this historical charge with immediate effect. We also want to assure players that, of course, they will be welcome back at any time. That uh, that has happened, and yeah, good for party poker. But I, I hate inactivity fees; they they piss me off. I'm glad that's gone. Now, what I'm not glad is gone is this Calwatt and Trader Ruski. They're both gone. Trader Ruski just just vanished, which is a, a bit early for him. He he just I, I was just about to ask him too. I, I was just about to ask Trader Ruski. 
his opinion of this. And he's gone. All right, he's coming back. Maybe he's going to tell us why he's leaving. Trader Risky, was that an intentional hang-up or... Uh... No, I got knocked off. Okay. Some, somebody okay. tried to call me and... Okay, I, I thought that was a that was a bit premature, a bit early for you to drop out at 11.30. Nope, holiday tomorrow. I get a couple hours in me. Do, do uh, inactivity fees piss you off too? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I hate them. I... I was actually so happy. I have this American Express prepaid card that I haven't used in forever, and I was sure like it was down to zero. I was sure that I just inactivity feed myself to zero, and I, I, I checked the balance, and it was still at whatever it was, like thirty dollars, twenty five dollars, whatever. I go, how's that possible? And then I looked, and it says American Express does not charge inactivity fees on its cards. I said, wow, well, thank you. I, I like that because these prepaid cards almost always have an inactivity fee. So. I've always thought this is be. In fact, I think that one of the legalized New Jersey rooms does it. I think eight 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 does it, or one of these rooms in New Jersey does it, where after six months they charge you an inactivity fee, which I thought was really crappy. I couldn't believe the state allowed that. So, speaking of New Jersey, they want to have sports betting. Sports betting. Uh, some of you might not be aware. That sports betting in the United States is only legal in Nevada. No other state is allowed to have sports betting. And it's been this way for a long time. And it's the result of uh, an act called Protect Amateur Sports Act, or also known as, as PASPA. And th- this is basically attempting to prevent the spread of sports betting beyond Nevada so there isn't uh, organized crime influence in fixing games and that uh, if sports betting is too spread out then it's too hard to control and then uh, that was the theory behind this and then players are going to get bribed to to, to shave points or to throw games and they just figure if they can localize the sports betting to only Nevada that uh, that's a lot easier to to monitor and control and also prevents as much influence if it's only in one place. However, that's become kind of obsolete because of all the different online sports books that are out there now. So I understand why New Jersey feels it should have the right to taking sports bets, especially because this is the one unusual situation where one state is allowed to have a legal advantage over the others as far as... uh, what they are allowed to do. Uh, I've never seen any other example, not just in gambling, but in any law, where one state is given the ability to do something that the other 49 states cannot do. I've seen it where the other 49 states may choose not to do something that one state is doing, but I've never seen it where they just can't do it and only one state can. Maybe there's other examples, but I've never run into them. But sports betting is very much an example of that, where Nevada is the only state allowed to have it, and it doesn't care if other states want it, they cannot have it. So New Jersey, which of course has a pretty big uh, casino scene there in Atlantic City, they've wanted sports betting for a while but just uh, can't make this happen, and they've been trying. Well, they're now taking the fight all the way to the Supreme Court. And it's going to happen on December 4th. And uh, 
so this is uh, what's happening. The professional sports leagues are actually in opposition to this. They don't want sports betting in New Jersey. Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey does want sports betting and is, in fact, calling the sports leagues hypocrites for opposing sports betting in his state while not only allowing it in Nevada, but also for even having teams in Las Vegas. There's a hockey team currently in Las Vegas, and uh, soon there will be the Oakland Raiders moving there. So uh, the Solicitor General's office has filed a brief with the U.S. Supreme Court this week and uh, and it's actually supporting the league's view that they, it shouldn't be there. And on December 4th, that's when the Supreme Court is going to hear this. Now, Chris Christie is challenging that uh, PASPA law from 1992, and uh, and they want to see sports betting in New Jersey. He said that the leagues no longer have the moral ground to prevent gambling in New Jersey after the Las Vegas Golden Knights started playing in the NHL this season, and uh, the Oakland Raiders are probably going to be there in 2019. He said, they say that because we have the Giants and Jets and the Devils, that somehow we shouldn't be allowed to have gambling here because somehow it will threaten the integrity of the game. Well, you kidding? How is it threatening the integrity of the game in Las Vegas for the NHL and NFL? So he's got a good point about that, but the bigger point is that nowadays players make so much money that you're not going to be able to bribe a professional player anyway to, to throw games. It's the, the days of that are over. The college players, yes, but uh, but players in the NHL, the NFL, the NBA, even the players who are part-time guys there, they don't, first of all, they don't affect the game that much, and second, they, they even they make a lot of money. Everybody makes big money now who plays in any of these professional sports leagues in the U.S. So it becomes very tough to bribe these players and, and then try to get them to throw away their whole career potentially when they're making so much money anyway. The officials in New Jersey say that the Supreme Court should strike down the ban on sports betting because it uh, wrongly forces states to enforce a regulation that Congress wants. However, the Solicitor General says that uh, Congress has the right to preempt state laws that, quote, conflict with federal policy. That doesn't really explain why there should be this exception for Nevada. By the way, there is limited sports betting allowed in uh, Delaware, Oregon, and Montana, but it's it's, it's nowhere the same. It's it's nothing. The only place with full sports betting is uh, is Nevada. The rest, it's kind of a joke, the sports betting allowed in those three other states. But New Jersey doesn't even have that. So it's estimated that $150 billion a year is bet illegally through online sites, some of it by me, each year. So New Jersey is trying to get some of that money. And... They're hoping the Supreme Court will be on their side. I, I don't think their chance is very high, even though I I, I support it. I, I really believe that the laws against this are very antiquated at this point. But it, it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough. So I know that they 
I know that they really want their piece of this industry, which is worth $100 billion. But I don't know if uh, they're going to get there. I think it's going to stay. It just seems like there's too many forces against them. Trader Risky, what do you think? Hmm. I wonder if he's walking the dog. Well, no, just couldn't find the mute button. I think that, uh, no, I agree. I mean, I just think so many of the laws were made way back when, when the players could be bribed. And yeah, like you said, I mean, it's an unfair advantage amongst the states to make money. Yeah, totally is. There's there's no logical reason why Nevada should have it at this point, and New Jersey shouldn't. And uh, especially Nevada's going to have two sports teams. They have one, they're going to have a a really major one, an NFL team, very soon. But I I, I have a feeling this is going to fail on December 4th, just as their previous attempts have failed to get sports betting in New Jersey. I think it's going to take a while to make this occur. Phil Ivey has signed with a poker room. And I always wonder about him. He seems to attach his name to so many failed projects. And I, I wouldn't he just be better off finding a, a larger poker room, some online poker room to sign with, like Negreanu did, and just do that? Like, well, I don't understand why he signs up for all these failed projects. Even if he owns a piece of them, it just it just doesn't make much sense to me. I don't understand what he's really doing. But the latest thing he's hitched his name to is a weird poker room called Virtue Poker. Virtue Poker is a cryptocurrency poker room. And not just cryptocurrency, but only Ethereum, which is not nearly as common as Bitcoin. It's kind of rising. It's, it's A lot of people love it, but it's it's something that even the average cryptocurrency user, you know, casual user that is, is not likely to have. So Bitcoin, everybody knows about Bitcoin now. And a lot of people have some Bitcoin or have some way to get it, even if they're not Bitcoin fanatics. But Ethereum, that, that's a, the next level. That's where you really have to be into cryptocurrencies to want to have Ethereum at this point. So... It's really weird to found a poker room that only takes Ethereum and nothing else. I had not heard of it until I read this story about Phil Ivey signing with him. And this is a new story. This was just two days ago. So Phil Ivey is, quote, their poker advisor. And they don't explain what that means. But uh, he is al- he's probably allowing his name to be used to promote the brand. He might, you know, maybe he'll even be wearing some gear from Virtue Poker next time he plays in some kind of tournament with some visibility. But that's what he is right now, a, a poker advisor. And Virtue Poker, it, it has some interesting features. Like, for example, they have decided that uh, it's better that they don't hold your money. So unlike Sites like Seals and others where you, you know, I'm talking about cryptocurrency sites, where you uh, you have to actually buy in, and then you get chips, and then you can cash out. You know, just like any poker site. 
that Virtue Poker is doing something new, where you keep your own cryptocurrency, and that what you're basically doing is you're you're only buying uh, what you need for the current hand. And uh, after the hand's over, they either give you your winnings immediately, or they uh, or they take it from you and give it to somebody else if you lost. But that you, you don't have to buy in some uh, you know some large amount to have the bankroll. That you're actually just uh, you're you're holding it yourself the whole time, other than what's being bit in that one particular hand. So that's that's one interesting thing that they're doing there, making it uh, unnecessary to cash out. I'm not sure how they're doing this so quickly because I know there's a processing time. I've never used Ethereum, but uh, I, I don't quite understand how they're doing that so quickly. If you if you send Bitcoin to someone, it'll take a little time to get there. So I don't see how every hand they can do this, but. Somehow they, uh, somehow they're able to. So they claim, and uh, they claim this. Also, another thing they're doing is they are not uh, using a standard random number number generator. Instead, that uh, the cards are being dealt through some sort of a peer-to-peer distribution, and. Therefore, it's a lot harder to uh, to cheat by by cracking the random number generator or uh, or even using an insider account to uh, to see what the cards are. So that's what they claim. There was an insider poker cheating scandal on on an, another cryptocurrency poker site, not Seals, but some other one. So they're they're trying to prevent that and make people feel better about playing on there. But I don't know. This, it, at this point, it's still not anything. You know, it's not like it's doing well. It's not like it's a, a real player. I hadn't even heard of it before. So I, I have a feeling this is not going to go anywhere. It, it's got some interesting concepts, like that. Uh, That the, uh, the, the, the yeah that you're basically holding on to your own money. There's no cash outs required, but no deposits required. Still, I if it's Ethereum only, like what kind of market is there? It's hard enough to get a viable poker room in the first place, but to to make it not just cryptocurrency only, but Ethereum only, that just doesn't sound like something with a bright future to me. Unless Ethereum really blows up. So, Virtue Poker. Like, I can't even find them anywhere on Poker Scout when looking at uh, number of players. And and by the way, it's not like the Bitcoin rooms are, are doing great. I've heard that uh, Seals, or which is known as SWC Poker, is kind of a ghost town these days. And the other ones that you know, like Betcoin is doing a little bit better, but they're they're not 
blowing up huge either. They've, for example, right now they have 18 cash players on uh, online, so that's not uh, very exciting. So, I even wonder if there's even that much of a future for cryptocurrency poker. And there's a reason for this. There's a reason for this. In that it's very hard in the first place to have a successful small online poker site. It really is. Most people are drawn to the big sites. They're drawn to the name sites that they know. So to have a small poker site succeed in the first place is tough. But then to have to add a second layer onto it, where you have to use cryptocurrency, which counts out everybody either who can't acquire cryptocurrency, can't acquire it easily, uh, doesn't understand it, doesn't want to use it. You lose a lot of potential players that otherwise would play if they could buy in another way. So that makes it even tougher. So that's why it really is always going to be a niche market, I think. And now I think there's too many rooms out there competing for the same crowd. So, I, I, I don't, I'm not surprised someone's trying that, but for Phil Ivey to attach his name to this of all things, this is not Jamie Gold who has very little choice. This is Phil Ivey. So to me, it's very weird. Trader Ruski, can you think of any reason that he would attach himself to this? Money. You think they're just like giving him money and he says, okay. Well, yeah. I would, th- you know, look, I think that if this is a coin that they're trying to get out there on the heels of Bitcoin, you know, what better way to engage people in using it by doing a poker site and hiring, you know, probably the most famous player in the world. But but this isn't, Ethereum's not backing it itself. It just is using only Ethereum. Well, do we know that? I, I know, but do we know that? I don't know. No, I mean, I we, don't, we don't if know. If I that. was a behind Ethereum or investor in getting it going, then I'd probably kick in money for something like this. Yeah, maybe that's a possibility that this is something that those supporting Ethereum are trying to uh, push. And that's not just. I, I was thinking it's just an Ethereum fanatic who's running this, thinking this is going to overtake Bitcoin, and they're. Uh, or, or thinking that people who have Ethereum. That there's a big market of those who have Ethereum and have nowhere to play because the uh, the other rooms only take Bitcoin. I can't imagine it's that because I I mean I hadn't heard of it either before you before you know the story came out. So I'm going to go take a look at this because it's not even on Poker Scout. So I'm going to so if you go to Virtue Dot Poker, uh. Pretty slow loading too. Okay, loaded up. Virtue Poker, play poker without fear. The future of online poker is coming. So I guess. Oh, I see. It doesn't even look like. Is it even running yet? It looks like they're they're just building it. So this is what it says. This is on their website. If you scroll down, online poker has been stuck. The integrity of gaming software is frequently called into question. Player funds are being lost, stolen or seized, and the regulatory response has been fragmented. Virtual poker is revolutionizing online poker. We are a team of computer scientists and online poker players building this platform to help address the shortfalls of centralized online poker and create a better online experience. Why we built this. Using the Ethereum blockchain and smart contracts to, to build a decentralized poker platform, virtual poker has trust and transparency built in. 
And then they're showing like a little diagram about how the player funds are held by each player instead of the uh, uh, instead of the site. And they're also showing that the game logic itself, and I think they probably mean the cards, they that these are all shared by the players and it's decentralized again. So it says features security of player funds. Players do not deposit money into a centralized virtual a virtue poker system. Instead, players fund their per- personal digital wallets and enter games with these funds. Tamper-proof gaming. All pl- gameplay happens off-chain using a secure implementation of, of mental poker. Instant payouts. All payouts happen in less than 60 seconds and are automatically sent back to a player's digital wallet when they leave a table. Guaranteed tournaments. Competitors spend money on, an exp- on expensive sponsorships and on, on poker stars and athletes, and we feel like our players would, would prefer if we spent that on them instead. So we put our marketing resources into guaranteed tournaments. That's not true. They, they fill IVs here. <laughs> what are they talking about? Yeah, you, you are spending money on, on poker stars and athletes. That's exactly why, well, at least poker stars, not athletes, but they should change that now that they have. The Ivy's not even mentioned on this site from what I can see. I'm going to click on team, see if it mentions Ivy. No, it mentions, uh, well, I'm scrolling here. I don't still don't see Ivy. Still don't see Ivy. A lot of people, oh no, he's at the bottom. They have three professional poker players involved. Dan Coleman, Phil Ivy, and Brian Rast. So I wonder what it's ended for them. Then they have three lawyers involved, including Jeff Ifra, who used to be involved with Full Tilt. And they have uh, Patrick Berraducci, I don't know him, and uh, Isolus LLP in Gibraltar. They have a lot of people involved with this, if you scroll down. They have advisors, they have uh, graphic design, a lot, a lot of different people here. I think, uh, I wonder who funded this. It looks like a lot of money went into it. Well, it's people, unless these people working for it are doing it just for a piece of the company and they haven't made any money yet, but. Hmm. I think I understand a little bit better what they're doing as far as the cash outs and the deposits. I, th- I think what you're really doing is you're depositing just to the table. I don't think it's taking money out of each hand like in the report I read. I think what I'm seeing here is you, you buy into a table only instead of buying into the whole site and then using it on tables, that you just say, okay, I want to spend this much of my Ethereum to sit down at a table. And then you send it to the site, and then you play with those those funds. And then when you stand up from the table, it automatically just returns it to your Ethereum wallet, rather than uh, having to return it to your player account and then perform a cash out. It's an inter- interesting concept. But I just can't see this catching on. I, I kind of get the impression from this that these are people who just who just think they've created something technically cool but aren't understanding the market. And I don't think they understand that the best product does not always win. It's the best marketed product and the product that people need the most. 
not not always the best product. I don't think I think with all the people they have involved here, I don't think they realize that. Is this I just can't imagine this succeeding. All these people here. I'm scrolling down looking at all these people involved. I'm trying to do they even have a marketer? See, I'm not even seeing a marketer here. I'm seeing a platform engineer, business development. I, I okay, I guess he's the marketer. This Ryan Gittleson. But I have a feeling this Ryan Gittleson is probably drinking his own Kool-Aid. I don't know him. I don't know who he is. But it's very easy to get caught up in your own hype. I've seen it many times before where real, people talk themselves into believing that they have something revolutionary and think that as soon as everybody understands what they understand, they're, they're going to want it too. But it doesn't work that way. You, you really have to understand the market you're dealing with and will they connect with this product? And I think the answer here is going to be no. I, I kind of appreciate from a technical standpoint what they're doing. I can agree with what they're doing to some degree. But I just, I don't think it's going to connect with the market. I just don't think the market is there. I don't think there's enough Ethereum users who are going to want to play poker to make this very viable. So I'm kind of surprised. I I thought maybe this would be like three people putting this together, but this looks like uh, a bigger effort than that. I, I just it, it actually makes me a little bit sad. I'm just I was thinking of all these people. I'm looking at their picture. I'm picturing them just imagining that this is going to be the next poker stars, and working around the clock for maybe very little or no money. Which again, I'm just theorizing. It's possible maybe someone funded this, but they're just working around the clock and just dreaming about what's going to be one day, and then they get Phil Ivy involved, and they really just imagine this is going to blow up. But Phil Ivey's been part of a number of failed projects, including Ivy Poker. So, I think what people, what they're missing a lot of times, see, you have Daniel Negreanu, who's the main face of Poker Stars, and they pay him a lot of money. I don't know how much, but they pay him a lot of money. But that's... That's a good usage of marketing dollars because you have a combination of a site that is already active with excellent software, with excellent support. I know they've made some mistakes in recent years, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm speaking in general. And and then you have a well liked and good ambassador of the game who's promoting them. It, it's all a package. But you can't take something that's not going to appeal to that many people and have Phil Ivey promote it and just expect it to blow up. We're way past the day where everyone's going to sign up because some celebrity poker player is promoting them. It has to be something people want. The A-list poker player promoting them is only icing on the cake at this point. Trader Risky, how, how do you feel about this whole thing? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's, 
It'll be interesting to see how it flushes out. I mean, to get a competitor to Bitcoin, you know, these like have I to be said earlier. It's probably a good place to start. Yeah, but these have to be people like to to get the games going. You have to have people who are using Ethereum who want to play poker and want to all play it at the same time enough to get games going. That's a tough thing. It's a very tough thing. Right, but I mean, I think, I mean, first of all, I think the, the taking the money to the table is attractive. I mean, similar to like when you walk into a casino, right? Yeah. You take out money and you put it on the table. So, I mean, that's a, I think that's a positive differentiator. And, um, yeah, I mean, they better have a lot of marketing dollars behind it, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, I like, the, I like that concept, too. I like that concept, uh, and that really prevents you from being screwed by the site. You don't have to worry about you know, if they're really holding your money on deposit or if they're just putting it there and then really stealing all the money. So that's that's a very nice feature. But I don't know. I, I just Well, and I would just think, I mean, I don't know about the user interface for this stuff or how easy it is to get coins. But I'd imagine if it's just something that's very easy, where it's almost like you're going to this site and buying chips that just would then convert it to Ethereum coins. Or money. I I just think there's this barrier to entry. People just don't understand it. I think there's just a, uh, there's still a large barrier of entry to to the cryptocurrencies. There's just a lot of people who just don't understand, don't want to understand, don't want to learn, are afraid of them. Even those who are afraid of the variance with them, with even gamblers, I I could believe would be concerned that. Uh, they they want to win or lose based upon their results at the tables, not the uh, the currency itself. Yeah, but if it's structured in a way, drop where it's almost like you're buying chips with these Ethereum coin, you know, with Ethereum cash that you buy, and then you could just cash out and convert it again. You know, I mean, I you know, I, I just think a lot of people miss the bit train, you know, the Bitcoin train, and and it's certainly give it, you know, it's it's probably a positive thing for a different type of cryptocurrency. Yeah. I know there's others out there too. I just haven't really followed it. Yeah, well, I guess we'll see, and uh, we'll follow this as it goes on. But if I, if I was asked to predict this, I would think that not not too long. It's uh, not too long from now. This is going to be a fail. And when I say not too long, I don't mean like two months from now. But I mean like a year from now, I could see that this either never launched or launched and did nothing. That's what I I would think is the most likely scenario. But Calwatt is a very is very pro Ethereum though. He said, uh, um, he's in the chat. He says Ethereum isn't just isn't yet another cryptocurrency. The smart contracts on which it's based are pretty awesome. Check out the white paper for details on virtual virtue poker. So he, he, I think he's already sold. He said this and he left the chat. <laughs> Maybe Cal watches start playing there. So, oh, he just came back in the chat. And he says that's sad. Oh, I think I think he's going to agree. It's going to probably fail. I think he's going to agree. Oh, I see Adam Schwartz in the chat. He says, that said, I, I'm, I'm waiting on the edge of my seat to see what else he's going to write. I bet he's going to say, that said, I think the site's not going to work. Let's see. I feel like I can't continue until he 
types the rest of it. Oh, quote, that said, quote, the first version of Virtue Poker is desktop Python client that creates a custom smart contract for each table instance, LOL. <laughs> it's a fucking Python client. Yeah, so he's already not very impressed with that part. Yeah, I mean, it's... I I think what a lot of these overlook is just a lot of the simplicity of what people want who play online poker. The, the, the simplicity of what makes an online poker site work. And sometimes all the, the coolest stuff you can think of to add to it or to change the concept around a bit will not matter if you do not satisfy these very simple concepts of what will bring a site to be successful. And I, I, I like the way CalWatch has put it. He says, the technology is awesome. It's far from a product. That's I agree on that, too. Then uh, GambleBot Chased Penis is uh, giving CalWatt a hard time for being in the chat instead of co-hosting, saying uh, CalWatt is rubbing one out instead of co-hosting. <laughs> I was wondering, like, like he's in the chat, but he can't, he can't co-host anymore. But all right. At least he's listening. Two more Caesars casinos are coming. Because Caesars has been uh, subtracting casinos recently, not adding. There was those, uh, they had those casinos, I think it was Ohio, like in Cincinnati and one other place that got sold and became Jack Casinos, which had nothing to do with Caesars. But Caesars is now expanding again. Maybe because the bankruptcy is just about behind them. And they are buying more properties. Now, if you remember, they, they've actually sold their properties and now they're like renting properties, you know, the physical properties, and they're renting them back out. But, but putting that whole thing aside, or maybe not, because maybe that's where they got the money to do this, but they're, they're looking to purchase two casinos which are more accurately, more accurately referred to as racinos, which is casinos that are also racetracks, which is what the requirement is in Indiana. They're looking to get Hoosier Park, which is in Anderson, Indiana, which is approximately one hour north of Indianapolis. And then for those east of Indianapolis, Indiana Grand, which is in Shelbyville, Indiana, which is about an hour east of Indianapolis. Right now, both are owned by a company called Centaur Holdings, LLC. And, uh, this information, I, I've, I saw it elsewhere, but uh, this I'm reading this from a post by A. Hoosier A., who's a forum poster and radio listener. So thank you to him for these details. He said, Indiana has a law that a single company cannot own more than two casinos in the state. Now, Caesars Entertainment already has two properties, which is Horseshoe Hammond, which is on Lake Michigan, and it's kind of near Chicago. And then there's Horseshoe, Southern Indiana, which is on the Ohio River, kind of near Louisville, Kentucky. But because of racinos, that's uh, since there's a horse track attached to it, that's a little bit different, and they can get around that rule. I see. So I guess they can't have casinos, but uh, racinos are a way you can own more than two. You can, I guess, you can own two casinos and unlimited racinos. However. Hoosier Park, he says, has been a major fail since opening about nine years ago. 
and that uh, in 2010, Centaur Holdings, its owner, filed for bankruptcy. When they emerged from it, they also purchased the Indiana Grand in 2012. Oddly enough, both properties do not have any live cards and no live dealers. All their tables are electronic tables, and they even give you the option to tip. Who are you tipping? Who would be receiving this tip? They give you the option to tip. So what, you're tipping the machine? You're tipping the casino? I don't understand. You don't think the rake is high enough? You want to tip the casino another dollar? Are there really people who, who tip a virtual dealer? Hoosier Park has done away with their poker room, he said, which had uh, four electronic poker pro tables. Indiana Grand still has a poker room with like 12 of those electronic uh, poker pro tables. And there's the other problem that Indiana passed a law in 2014 that changed these poker tables to be classified as slot machines, meaning if you won a pot of 1,200 or more, they'd issue, issue a tax form, which nobody wants. And then it also would slow the game down. It was a huge pain in the ass. So, like, I don't even know why anybody even bothers unless it's, like, super low limit. So he's a little perplexed, and this is Ehusher A, who lives in Indiana himself. But he's a little perplexed why they would do this. If they're looking to buy more properties, why they'd bother with these two failing racinos in the Indianapolis area. But he actually feels it's going to improve because the Centaur Holdings is so bad that uh, he thinks even Caesars could do better. And that at least he'll, you know, he'll have uh, two total rewards properties in his area. So maybe two new casinos, sorry, racinos in the list of Caesars properties. I wish they would buy properties in places I'd want to go. I've never been to Indiana, and I don't see any occasion for me going there. But as you guys know, they have these annual trips that Seven Stars can take every year. And I do like taking them to places that I either haven't been to or would like to go to again. And I'd love to see them buying properties in places that I would like to visit. Like I'd like to see one in, in Boston. I know that they failed to get that and it's going to win, but I would have liked to see them get one in Boston. I would like to see one get you know, up here in the Pacific Northwest. Or you know, various locations around the country that I think would be interesting to visit, not uh, not Indiana. So... That seems to be happening. I posted on my Twitter a picture of the Vegas Strip, or part of the Vegas Strip, from 1986, 31 years ago. And it looked incredibly different. Did you see that picture, Tertorisky? Which picture? Of, of the oh, Vegas the Strip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, I looked at it very briefly. Yeah, isn't that amazing how different it looked? Like, that's... that's yeah. They, there's like a... Before. Well, when did the when did the Mirage start? Eight, like ninety or ninety one or eighty nine? Yeah, so okay. yeah, so that's there was a that lot was of the open first of the resort. Yeah, there's a lot of open space on the Vegas Strip in the eighties that a lot of people now don't realize. And 
then downtown was actually a, a lot more relevant than it is today. And the strip, you know, it existed, but there weren't that many properties. It just wasn't uh, this mega line of resorts that you have now. But to demonstrate this, since you can't see a picture on the radio, you can see the picture, by the way, if you go to the Casinos in Las Vegas forum of PokerFraudAlert.com and click on the Las Vegas Strip 1986 thread. But here is a list of current casinos that you've probably heard of on the Strip that did not exist in 1986 or even 87 or even 88. So in 1988, if you're driving down the Las Vegas Strip, you would not find any of the following. Treasure Island, also known as TI, the Mirage, the Bellagio, Aria, Cosmopolitan, Mandalay Bay, Planet Hollywood, though I will say that the property was occupied by another casino called the Aladdin, the Wynn, though that property was occupied by the Desert Inn, the Encore, the Venetian, though that property was occupied by the Sands, the Palazzo, MGM Grand. Now, I, I do want to mention that uh, for some time there was an MGM Grand in Vegas, and that was eventually renamed. Uh, it was eventually became Bally's, which still is today. So it's the same property, same hotel. It just was called MGM Grand. Then it was called Bally's, and then uh, later, I think in '93, the current MGM Grand was built on a completely different property. Excalibur, New York, New York, Luxor, Cromwell, though the property was occupied by the Barbary Coast, Paris, and the Mandarin Oriental. Some of you may say, wait a minute, I don't know, what is this Mandarin Oriental? That is actually a pretty big hotel, but you may not know it because there's no casino there. But it's actually a very nice hotel. I've been in it several times. It has a good restaurant there called Twist that's associated with... uh, Mega Gourmet Chef Pierre Gagnier from France. And it has no casino. So unless you're staying there, unless you're going to Twist, you have no reason to go there. But it's uh, it's located in City Center. You ever been to Trader Risky? I have not. I mean, I've seen them pass by it, but I've never, I, maybe I walked through it. But. If, if you're looking towards the strip, like from Caesars, and you see a tall building with what looks like kind of like a illuminated very large fan on top it also could look like a almost like a second moon from a distance that's the mandarin oriental benjamin actually thought it was a moon when he was a baby he'd say oh look daddy two moons yeah and it's in city center next to aria right yes okay yep so now caesar's was there but not all the towers were there. There was no Augustus Tower, no Octavius Tower, and no Palace Tower. The Nobu Hotel within Caesars was also not there, but the Centurion Tower was there, which is the same physical tower. They just renovated it and changed the name. And even off strip, there were some prominent properties. That, uh, or should I say, they were not some prominent properties because these properties which are here today did not exist in 1988. The Stratosphere, though the property was occupied by Vegas World, Rio, Palms, the Red Rock, and uh, Green Valley Ranch. 
So all these casinos I mentioned did not exist in the year 1988. It all started, as Trader Risky said, with the Mirage being built in 89. That was kind of the first strip mega resort. And it all went from there. At the time, it was very impressive that they they had that little uh, fake volcano outside and all that uh, stuff inside, that whole theme they had. And uh, I mean, it is amazing how like state of the art, like you saw, it's like, oh, my God, and you walk through and over that bridge. Yeah. And there's the plants around. I mean, that was like you've seen nothing like that. Yeah. Now it looks so cheap. Yeah. <laughs> even though it's the exact same thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember seeing the explosion in Vegas in 93 when we were we drove through there. We actually took a, uh, a family road trip. I was 21. I was with my dad and my brother. And we took a family road trip to, like, uh, Utah. But we passed through Vegas. And, and we were seeing a lot of this construction that either had already completed or that was in, in process. And I, it was just like, like we commented, wow, wow, this is like a different place. Like they're just, they're building so much here. And was that, that the dunes in 93? Or no, was that earlier? No, there was, I don't know when the dunes closed. Let me see. Cause I, that's where Bellagio went. Well, Bellagio didn't open until, uh, 96. Yeah, it closed, they closed the dunes in January of 93. So, I mean, I remember the dunes, but I, I didn't know exactly when it closed. But yeah, I just looked it up. It's January 93, it closed. And, uh, yeah, I see it's in the place where uh, Bellagio is, but uh, at least kind of. Yeah, no, as a matter of fact, I met my host. He was a crap dealer at, at, at uh, Mirage. And I met him one night. I just had a role, you know, made a ton of money. And then we went across the street to the dunes and had a drink. And I think it's the, you might have met him at the, uh, when we had dinner at, uh, Golden Nugget. Okay. I didn't know this. But anyway. All right. It's been a while. So, yeah. So that was the big explosion was, it was in the early 90s, but the whole thing kind of got kicked off by TI in 89. Or not TI, by, by, uh, Mirage in 89. So I just wanted to mention that if you saw that picture, I just listed all those hotels. Yeah, just think of how many I listed there that that are very prominent hotels on the Strip now that none of them were there. They just were not there. Some of them were once other properties that changed, but some of them just were, are occupying what was blank space. So it's all pretty much filled up now. There, there is some space still in the northern Strip, if you think about it. You drive down the Strip kind of past the wind. Especially on the left side, there's a lot of open space. So there, there's still some room to expand. But I think it's starting to get saturated. Okay, so I'm going to read you guys this uh, part seven of Inside the Evil Empire. Which is about Caesars by an employee of Caesars who posted in the forum... And he's claimed he'll do a 20-part expose of stupid little things Caesars does, but he's not sure if he has 20 parts in him. But he has done seven. I've covered six of them on this show. Here is number seven. And again, this is a report from a member of Poker Fraud Alert. I have not verified any of this. I have no way to verify most of this. But 
this is what he's writing, and you can judge for yourself. Story number seven, the billboard. He does note that this story did not personally happen to him. It happened to his, quote, shithead ex-boss. So he says, so the numbers may be a bit hazy or inaccurate, but for this story, I just want you to focus on the thought process of upper management, not the numbers themselves. He said, so we had a convention in our uh, come to our region. It was a fairly big convention that was to be held at the region's convention center. By the way, he's not in Vegas. He's, he's somewhere, somewhere in the east. The convention center was not affiliated with any casino, but rather was owned by the government. I seem to remember it was supposed to have 80K attendees. Could have been 50K. doesn't matter. So with this convention being held at a non-affiliated venue means that attendees were spread out, not just concentrated at one specific casino. Our region had a ton of billboard coverage, and management was debating on purchasing one of these billboards for a month of ads for one of our new food and beverage outlets. Again, I don't remember the exact cost, but I believe it was in the range of ten to 25000 per month. There was a huge amount of debate of whether we should purchase this ad space. Remember, this is a region that was supposed to show high eight figures of profit for the year, arguing about spending low five figures. Low five figures at the end of the year wouldn't even be a rounding error. So my shithead ex-boss had to do a full workup on this billboard to prove that it would be wise use of expense money. I get wanting to make sure you aren't pissing away money, but to have a full workup on this kind of thing is just asinine. Any idiot can quickly do some back-of-the-envelope calculations to figure out whether this is a no-brainer, and here they are. Let's use some of the most conservative estimates we can, which would be 50K attendees and a billboard cost of 25K. The outlet would be advertising, the, the outlet which we'd be advertising was an outlet which had an average dinner check of roughly $45. So let's say you get a 5% response rate to your billboard. I'm not a marketer, but I think that seems like a low rate of response. And that's 2,500 additional customers. At $45 a pop, that pop, that's an incremental 125K in revenue. Subtracted the cost, cost of the billboard, 25K, cost of the food, which is like 40K, and revenue share, which I think about 7K, uh, you would still be way in the black on this billboard. If you're feeling quite saucy, you could do a sensitivity, sensitivity analysis with a response rate to find out where your break-even point is. Basically, that long-winded story is meant to show how upper management was sweatering each small expense. You can do that calculation even quicker, saying that you have 40% profit margin on incremental revenue and see if that covers the cost of the billboard. That would give you an absolute worst-case scenario because some of the costs, like labor, I don't think you need to factor in because you probably wouldn't staff up much to handle the extra business. But in the evil empire, referring to Caesars, every little expense has to be analyzed 30 different ways just to make sure it's okay. I swear upper management, the company won't shit unless they analyze the bathroom and the toilet paper situation. Uh, A lot of his stories are are of this theme where they they seem to be really either sweating small money that doesn't make sense or they're making cuts in areas that are showing very little uh, savings uh, just to show that they're cutting costs, things like that. There's a lot of stories around that same theme here. And I have seen some things they do like that. Like, for example... At Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas in the Augustus Tower, and probably the Octavius also, they used to give you two little chocolate mints every night. You know, the maid would come in for turndown service, and they put uh, two little chocolate mints on your pillow. And pe- people liked it. It was a nice touch. People enjoyed the mints. The mints are actually pretty good. You could actually get more if you, like, saw the maid cart. You could just grab some. Or you, But uh, that's what they would give you if you didn't just take your own. And 
they cut that out. They stopped doing it. And I think they stopped doing it. I don't have confirmation, but I think they stopped doing it because they wanted to save money on mints. But like, what are they saving? Like, think of two mints per customer. That's and they're buying these mints in you know, massive bulk, so they're getting them very cheap. Why cut those out? People like them. It made people feel good. Like they're they're at a luxurious place. Why why cut those out? But but they did. So, I can totally believe the stuff that he's writing here. I have seen silly little cuts that they seem to make at Caesars, which don't really make a lot of sense to me. And he's saying not only are they not cutting, but then when they need to spend money on something that they panic and feel like you have to prove that this expenditure is really going to directly result in in profits. So, I don't know if this is the case. He'll have to tell me. I know he listens to this show, so maybe he can post on the forum. But maybe this is like a department issue. And I see this happen at large companies and it even happens in the government, as I was descri- describing earlier. And that is where, like a large company, you, you, it has like a massive budget or massive revenue. And you think, you know, why why is a tiny expenditure compared to their budget or revenue? Why is, why is that a big deal? And it's because sometimes there's so many departments within the large company and they've all got to justify what they're doing. And they've all got to justify their expenses and profits and it's just micromanaged to the end. And in fact, a success and failure is sometimes judged upon how much money is this department bringing in. And I see that very much at Caesars in my observations, that each department just cares about itself too much and doesn't care about the big picture there. And there's very, very, very poor synergy and uh, communication between the various departments at Caesars, so much that it was laughable. Sometimes I was the go-between. Like, sometimes literally I was the go-between. When there would be a problem, I would have to say, well, you know, I like I had to bring them together and say, well, the way this was solved last time was this. Or you know, I, I heard from this other department that you entered this code, and I, like, I was actually helping them solve problems. Not voluntarily, but like when it happened to me, I would actually sometimes tell them how I had seen it solved before or or <laughs> like – or, or the problems that the other department system has, like these really happened. So sometimes, if, if every department has to show a profit, or every department has to show how they're cutting costs, or every every department has to justify their existence or their budget, then you have things like this occurring, and you have it where every department sweats too much about what they are doing rather than what's best for the company overall. Uh, a good way to think of this, of what a mistake that is, think about your body, okay? Um, think if, if your hand only acted in concern for itself and, and didn't care about the rest of your body. So, so everything your hand did was was only for what was ever best for your hand, but uh, it didn't care if the if the rest of your body got sick and, and ultimately the whole body died. 
that's that's what can happen when every department just acts for itself, acts in its own best interest, or 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 making itself look the best. So I, I've seen a lot of that at Caesars, and I think that's where a lot of the budgetary sweating comes from. That's where a a, a large company can end up operating like a small company and not in a good way. I once worked for a company that was not a large company at all, but it was a small company when I got there, a very small company. But then it expanded. It went from like 15 people to like 50 people. And what got to bother me towards the end there was that it stopped acting like a small company. And eventually... It developed a lot of the same bad habits a large company develops without the security and deep pockets of an actual large company. So I got like the worst of both worlds. An actual small company with all the weaknesses a small company has with the big company bureaucracy. So similarly a company that's too split up into a lot of tiny departments that are out for themselves will act like a bunch of little companies within a large one. And then again, you're going to have all the weaknesses a small company will have without the benefits of, of what a small company actually, you know, without the, it still has all the big company bureaucracy. It really has the worst of both worlds again. So you've, you've got to be careful with that. You've got, it's, it's much better to be a big company that just has typical big company problems or a small company that has typical small company problems than, than, than actually bringing on the weaknesses of both in the way you operate your company. So in a lot of his, a lot of his stories, they're, they're kind of echoing, what I observed myself in a different way as a customer. And as I've mentioned before, even the total rewards program is schizophrenic because you, you, the total rewards program is essentially competing with hosts. Hosts are supposed to comp you only based upon your recent and semi-recent play and your expected play going forward. And total rewards is, is comping you based upon uh, what you did as long as two years ago. Total rewards has guaranteed benefits. Uh, hosts guarantee you nothing, and uh, they want you to constantly uh, be producing for them. Total rewards gives you a status where you're supposed to feel special for as long as two years. Hosts are only supposed to make you feel special if you're actively gambling pretty much every time you come there. Maybe with a few exceptions, but if you were gambling a lot before, and then you could just start coming and not gambling at all, the hosts are supposed to pretty much uh, disappear on you. Whereas Total Rewards gives you a status to make you feel like you're important and powerful for two years. And then people get very upset when they are not treated the way they think they should be and the way it's marketed that they will be. So that's something they need to rectify. So I, I, I can believe this. 
And the funny thing is, a lot of these issues could easily be fixed if someone just went through the company and examined all the just examined all the operations and, and all the departments and a lot of the decisions that are made and a lot of the problems. Even even just to accurately survey employees or what are, what are customers complaining about the most. Like, I, I was shocked, for example, in Lake Tahoe when I found out that uh, when that upstairs breakfast was closing half an hour early every day because the the cook wanted to go to his other job that began at 6 a.m. and just cut out to 30 minutes early each day, that people had been complaining about this at the front desk for months, but somehow it never made it over to the food the food manager, the food service manager. Like he, I reported it to him directly, but it, that was the first he had heard of it. Somehow it didn't get past the front desk. People would go there and grumble about how they're pissed about this. And front desk would go, oh, sorry about that, sir. And then uh, never report it. But it's very important to hear what the most common complaints are about your business. You don't want to just get pats on the back. You want to hear what don't people like. What are the customers saying that is frustrating them? You ask the frontline people, what are the most, comp- on a, what's the, if I was running the company, I would, I would go to the front people. And I'd ask them, what are the customers typically complaining about the most? What's making the customers upset the most? And if it's something that you can change without putting a lot of effort or money into, I would change it immediately. But Caesars does not do that. Sometimes it's very hard to change certain things. You know, like for example, if you have an old hotel, to where it'd be a massive and expensive project to renovate it to where it would be nice again. You can't just say, oh, make the hotel nicer. You, you need money to do that. You need time to do that. But some of these things can be implemented very easily and cheaply. Anyway, I, I thank this person who calls himself Gamblebotch Chafed Penis for writing up these little stories inside the evil empire and i hope you enjoyed this week's installment just for a little look of the behind the scenes stuff that goes on at caesar's allegedly again i haven't verified this guy worked for caesar's i i haven't verified any of these stories but these are what he's posting and i, I think they're probably true that's my personal belief, though I have not been given any proof of it. So I know that's about it. I th- we, we kind of breezed through the topics pretty quickly tonight. It's only been uh, four hours. The Which is just as well, because I have a lot to do tomorrow for Thanksgiving. Now, I got a complaint. Speaking of taking complaints from your customers, I, I got a complaint on the Text number. Well, let's let's see what texts I got, which I'll read after I tell you about my complaint. Now, not even many texts tonight, but uh, I got a complaint from someone in the seven hundred two who claimed they were in Vegas, and I I don't even know if this is a real person. It could be just some duplicate account or some throwaway text phone number. But it was from a seven hundred two number who claimed they're not a forum poster, but it's a radio listener. But they've been listening for a very long time. They claim to be a female listener. 
but did not give me any more information. They said, about last week's show, not a good show at all. You need to change things up or the audience is going to leave. Too serious. You need to get back to some humorous things. Don't you even care about your core audience? Shame on you, Dan. Sad. (laughs) They were sad like Trump does. So this person wanted like more prank calls and stuff like that, and uh, it's funny. Like the day after radio last week, I was awakened by a uh, Dell scam call. One of those Indians pretending that he was from. No, I think it was Microsoft. It's pretending he was from. Uh, hello, I'm calling for the Microsoft. There's a virus on your computer. And he actually had a number you could call back. I tried and they actually answered. But the problem is by the time we do radio, these things are usually closed. You'd th- you think they would work all night, but I, th- I guess after a certain time of night, there's just not enough callers to make it worthwhile for them to sit there. But I- I'd like to prank one of those. Here, let's just let's just see. I'm going to dig up the phone number. Here it is. It's an eight four four number, which is a toll free number. I'm going to call it up. See if I can get Microsoft support. And I have a feeling they're not going to answer it this time. Right now it is twelve forty or twelve thirty nine a.m. Pacific time. Let's see. Maybe maybe I'll get lucky. Hmm. Just kind of sitting there, not connecting. We are sorry. No one is currently available to take... Yeah, that's, that's, that's what it does. I, I don't know if it's down. Sometimes these things change very quickly. But other times, they just don't answer late at night. They just, even though it's not late for them because they're across the world, they just know there's not that many Americans calling them at this time. So they take the time off. So I don't know. Trader Risky, you got anything else? Still awake? Um, I you know I agree. Uh, I agree with the with the texter or whatever it was the way she communicated with you. You know I think Chica Loco hasn't been out for a while. The guy from uh, Scotland or London, wherever he's from. <laughs> you know we may have to line some of those up. Maybe we could ask the Rio since they have the special for New Year's Eve. Are they going to have any of the restaurants open past ten o'clock? <laughs> That's a good point. I, actually, let's let's. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, that's, that's a good that's a good idea. I'm going to call them up right now. It's an easy phone number: seven zero two seven 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 seven. Is the Rio? Thank you for calling the Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino. For room reservations, please press one. For restaurant reservations, please press two. For the box office, please press three. For all other inquiries. Please remain on the line, and you will be connected to the hotel operator. What's so tilting is if you hit zero during this message, it just hangs up on you. 
Like, I'm so used to that. Transferring to an attendant. Like, I, I've heard that so many times, I just want to go right to the operator, and you can't. It'll just hang up on you. Thank you for calling Rio All Suites Las Vegas. Your call may be recorded for quality assurance. Please hold, and the next available agent will be with you momentarily. Your call may be monitored oh, or boy. recorded for quality assurance. How festive. Thank you for calling Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino. An operator will be with you shortly. I want to hear more festive music. Thank you for calling Rio Las Vegas. Of course, I'm assist you. Uh, hello, Colonel Nigel Fabersham here. Uh, first of all, there was quite festive music before uh, connecting me on here. I, I, was, I was getting up and dancing, and then it goes ring, and then, then here you are on the phone. So, all right. Oh, uh, man. Uh, yeah, no, no matter. Okay, so, I, I was I was browsing through Caesars.com to perhaps stay at this hotel, and and I saw something rather surprising, and that is um, for December 30th and 31st, which is the two nights of, of New Year's, um, I expect it to be quite expensive, but um, even with the, the unfavorable conversion rate between the pound and the dollar, I saw that um, it's only $237 per night average um, to stay at this hotel for those two nights. And I said, my word, that's cheap. You know, I haven't seen it this cheap in, uh, ever. So um, I, um, I, I decided that um, I might very well book at the Rio, but um, my, my concern to you, if, if you might be able to tell me this... Um, Last time I'd stayed at the Rio was during the World Series of Poker, and th- they did not keep the restaurants open very late at all. Um, I-, I had a very hard time finding anything to eat. Um, that American Barn Grill, or whatever that's called, uh, it closed, uh, I think, at 11 o'clock. And um, a- every other restaurant closed except for that Exports Deli, which was rather dreadful. Um, you know, the-, 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 the chicken strips tasted like the, um, the leather of my shoe. And um, that was really the only place I could eat after 11 o'clock. At, at, uh, I think there were some Asian places or something, but uh, those, those were pretty much the only choices after 11 o'clock at night. Now, I want to know, as I'm ranking in the new year, do you know that on December 31st, if there's going to be any restaurants open except for those two, or those, is that still the situation? About late night, that's going to be about the same situation. We do have a smash burger that may be open around that, that time. But that would be it. Uh, bollocks. All right. So, so you're you're telling me here, and I, I'm not blaming you for this personally because I know this is not your decision. But uh, are you telling me here that um, it, while I'm celebrating the new year of 2018, and and uh, I'm all ready to, uh, to to go chow down and have something to eat, maybe even spend the uh, the new year as it rolls over in a restaurant, that I have no choice but the sports deli in some Asian place and and maybe a burger? Is that what you're telling me that there's a, even on New that Year's? Would be- Yes. That would be it, yes, sir. Now, now, Around this time, yes. Now, if, if you don't mind my language, why the bloody hell are they not opening these restaurants specially a little bit later? On, on, wouldn't people be awake late on, 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 on December 31st? Wouldn't you think that there'd be quite a, a crowd of people looking to get into the American Bar and Grill? Why, why would they not open specially, at least on that night, to be a bit later? Do you know? I do apologize. No, I do not, sir. Uh, all right, well... Um, this may change my decision a bit. You know, it, it is uh, rather economical to stay there, but um, I just don't know if it's uh, this, the abuse my stomach's going to take is, is worth the trouble. And do you know if, if this uh, Legionnaire's disease, is, is there, has that been done away with? Yes, we've taken care of that, sir. All right, because, um, you know, that, that was something I didn't want to uh, take home with me. And uh, I, I've seen there's some more cases that have been reported. and I, they, they may be older cases, but I do see that... Uh, you know, I, I I want to gamble my money, not not my uh, not getting Legionnaires' disease. It's kind of like a reverse lottery, you know. So, um, 
you know, I, I, I know that you're not in charge of this, but maybe they should do it, they should just own the whole thing and like make a Legionnaires themed slot machine. Like you, 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 you pull the slot and if it goes like LLL, instead of, uh, instead of winning money, it sprays Legionnaires disease at you. Do you think that would work? No, sir. Alright, well, that's, that was a good idea anyway. Alright, tell me how Pip Pip, let's get on with it. Have a wonderful day, thank you. She got real sick of me by the end. <laughs> Thank you for calling the that Rio. Was funny. All Wait, what is this? I think it was dialed again. Well, that's that's amazing. You're right. I I didn't even think of that. But like the problems we have during the World Series of the of the lack of food after eleven, which pretty much affects anybody who makes day two of a tournament. That is still the problem on New Year's. It's unbelievable that they can't just. Why can't they tell the staff of the American Bar and Grill, hey, this night only, we're going to stay open until 2 a.m. Who wants to work three extra hours? We'll pay you time and a half. Like, why is that so hard? But they've got to, like, stubbornly close at 11 anyway. How can a place on New Year's close its, 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 like, main restaurant at 11? How? That could be number eight on the Caesars guys' uh, next list, <laughs> right? Is it, yeah. It's owned by Caesars, right? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. I, you know, I'm gonna. I, okay, that's it. This is reminding me. I've got to write to Seth Polanski, who was you know one of the VPs of involved with the World Series. I'm gonna write to him and say, look, we, we've got to do something about the food this year. Everyone's so upset every time, and and this is to their benefit too, because people they get out of these events late at night, which is inevitable if you make make it deep into day one or any day, okay. But it's inevitable you're going to be done after eleven unless you bust fairly early. And and you want to eat, you're, you're willing to pay the higher price, you're, you're willing to you know you want to eat at the Rio, you, the food doesn't have to be gourmet, you just want something at a real restaurant to eat when you're done. And and the Rio could make all kinds of money off of this. And everybody comes out and they're like, what the hell? There's nothing. There's this one crappy fast food type sports deli. And then if you're not in the mood for like an, like an Asian noodles place or whatever, like that, that's it. That's pretty much it. Or I think an Asian dim sum, something like that. It's like that or, or, or this uh, sports deli and that's it. Like, and so I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask, can the World Series perhaps, because I, I didn't even bother to ask this last year in the middle of the series, I know they couldn't change it that quickly. But they've got a lot of notice right now. So I'm going to ask, can they perhaps extend the hours for these seven weeks of the World Series? Can they have a real restaurant that's open to like two or three during the World Series? I would think you would make the money. I'm not asking for concessions here. I'm saying, here's an idea to make your company more money and make the poker players happy. Hmm. Should we do it? Should we do it? Should, what's better, make players happy and make money or make everyone pissed off and make less money? Hmm. I think we'll go with the second option. It's amazing. And I, I watch how angry everyone is. Like, I'm over there. And and people are like, like standing pissed off about it. Like like, okay, where do we eat? And people are getting agitated. And they're in this long line for this crappy sports deli. And they're complaining. 
like what an opportunity here. So I'm going to email them. Sometimes when I when I when I email Seth Polanski, even if I get initially like, no, we can't do this. Sometimes it changes anyway. So it'd really be a win-win if they could just. It's one of the few cases in life where it's a win-win. They just need some notice. They need to. They need to just listen. Sometimes they just need to listen. Okay, but yeah, to whoever this anonymous person is, whether it really is a female listener or just some troll, I, I don't know. The person wasn't very responsive. It, it, I, I got kind of a feeling like it's a troll, but whatever. Whatever that person is or isn't, uh, I, I will try to bring some more prank calls back to this show to break up the monotony. Though, yeah, that's why I take some phone calls from the various characters we have to do all that. That's that's why we have those segments here. So it's not just a, a, a poker discussion show. Okay, well, we'll be back next week. That will be November 29th for what I think is going to be our fifth show of November. No, it won't be. I skipped a week. I forgot. Fourth show of November. But there will be a show next week. There should be a show every week for the remainder of 2017. That that's I'm going to make an effort for that to happen. So you may have your holidays, you may have your travels. I have already done it. I traveled on a non-holiday. I went during early November. So, there should be Poker Fraud Alert Radio consistently, week after week, hopefully Wednesday after Wednesday. Hopefully I will not be plagued by colds, by dental problems or other things that have sometimes sidelined me. And we can have a show on Friday. Look for Brandon, Crazy Norwegian Adamantium, and others on what's supposed to be a marathon show right here on PokerFraudAlert.com. They've talked about this for a long time. I I even uh, gave Brandon some information to connect to the server today, so he's serious about it. And he talked about wanting to do a test maybe tomorrow. So I think it's happening. I think it's happening. Sometimes Brandon has announced things that he doesn't end up doing, but I think this is really happening. I think it'll be an interesting and fun show. And I look forward to it. I will definitely be listening, and I'll even maybe be on part of it. Thank you, Trader Ruski, for being here during the duration. Thank you, Calwatt, for being here in mind and spirit and body for some of it. Okay, good night, everybody, and shalom. I couldn't hear you throughout the song, Drop. You're breaking up. Okay. But shalom, and have a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, great. have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. Good night.